Welcome to another episode of Corona Cold Reads, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Every Tuesday and Saturday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern, we're getting together on YouTube Live to broadcast a cold reading of a Shakespeare play. Our actors run the gamut from um, non-professional actors to some of the biggest names in uh, North American classical theater. Um, But what we all have in common is just a really genuine love of Shakespeare and in these uncertain, really genuinely scary times, um, what makes us feel better is getting together and listening to the text and exploring these stories together. So hopefully these episodes will bring you comfort as well, and you'll enjoy them as much as we enjoyed recording them. Um, All of the videos are available on our YouTube channel, which you just search My Entertainment World, um, as well as on our website, myentertainmentworld.ca, where you can find the full cast lists, um, as well as lots of other articles and all of our other content that we have going up all the time. Um, also, you should follow us on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's both myentworld, my ENT world. Um, there you'll see, be able to see highlights from all of the recordings, um, as well as you can get the links to watch us live. Um, But we also have all sorts of content created just specifically for those platforms. In addition to, um, that's where you can find links to all of our website content as well, which is myentertainmentworld.ca. The videos do stay up after the live recording, so you can watch them after the fact, or you can catch the audio version in the podcast feed, um, which is you just search My Entertainment World in uh, iTunes, and there you'll find all of our different podcast series, where we have the favorite series, the Shakespeare series, the nominee interview series, uh, Corona Cold Reads, Corona Movie Club, Season 1, Episode 1, and the My Entertainment World podcast. Um, Tons of different things happening. There's never been a better time to subscribe to our podcast. We have so much content happening right now. Um, but you're here for Corona Cold Reads for Shakespeare. Um, so these are cold reads for the most part. Uh, our actors n- did not have more than a day, maybe two, if they're lucky, um, to look over the text if they wanted to. Most of them didn't have the chance to, so it is just them sitting down and reading it cold. Um, so you'll you'll be able to hear that there will be some rocky moments and sometimes when we may have to pause and um, wonder why somebody's got their zoom on mute or you know how things happen. Um, we're all adjusting to these new technologies to cope with what we're going through right now. So I hope you enjoy. So next up is Henry the Sixth Part Two. Uh, I really don't know what happens in this one. Um, I think this is the one with the pirates. I remember Laura getting very upset because I think she gets killed by pirates. Um, oh yeah, this is, there's a character named Cade. I think there's pirates. I honestly couldn't tell you. It's Henry VI Part Two. If you haven't watched Henry VI Part One, maybe go watch that. Either way, we have some very help, helpful troubadours, uh, to help you out at the start of this one. And, um... If you don't understand, watch the Troubadour's introduction to Henry VI, Part 3, and they'll tell you what happens in this. But you should listen anyway. There are some great performances. Uh, Jim Hill plays Cade in this one, and Christopher Prentice is back as Henry VI. So, enjoy. Henry is dead and everyone's in grief. Henry sits too young and so Gloucester is chief. The French right back, Talbot needs relief, and this is only scene one. 
Lapuselle arrives, but she goes by Joan. This lady soldier has them all thrown. She says she sees spirits, but only on her own. She kicks Charles' ass, but he likes it. Then she proves herself, driving Talbot's forces away. But the French get drunk. And the English reclaim the day. Meanwhile, back at court, some thirsty business brews. Richard's prickly, cause he claims the throne was his to lose. Somerset's anger blooms when he hears the news. It's causing quite the carnation. So Henry gives this dick his own dukedom. A move not thought, very prudent by some. Plucks her red rose. Oh my god, so dumb. Yeah, this definitely won't come back to bite him in the ass. Joan is once again driving Talbot away. She brings Burgundy back. She would have preferred a full-body cabernet. Talbot's left stranded with not enough men. He's surrounded by the French again. He's fight alongside his kin. Will this battle never end? So on the field of Bordeaux, Talbot died alone. These men and their roses fighting over a throne will allow the French led by Joan to reclaim what's geographically theirs. Wait, what's happening in France? Okay, the French and the English keep going back and forth, winning and losing over the same counties. Okay, so what happened to Talbot? Oh, he died. Yeah. Because yeah. York and Somerset couldn't agree on who was going to send him their army. Yes, it's all their fault, I think. Think? Okay. And where's Gloucester? What's he been doing this whole time? Oh, uh, uh, he's, yeah, he's, he's fine. He's going to be oh, okay. Yeah, oh, don't worry oh. about him. So York is in France now. Yes, and he's brought, brought his army before the witch, Joan. Okay. But Joan's spirits have ghosted, and she's easily caught. She's judged by York and Bird definitely agree that the sexist rhetoric in this play around Joan is really heinous. Suffolk holds Princess Margaret under duress. Who's he? Oh, he's new. Yeah, uh, this this plot is a mess. Uh, so Meghan Henry will marry in Suffolk's game of chess is very much underway. France agrees to a truce, no more clowning around. York's still asserting his right to the crown. And Suffolk is uh, definitely trying to bring Henry down. And that was just part one. Did you get that? If you didn't, read a book. Um, okay, amazing. I love you guys. Um, many apologies to the troubadours for almost cutting them from the performance. <laughs> now it's time for act, act one, scene one. London, the palace, flourish of trumpets, enter King Henry VI, Gloucester, Salisbury, Warwick, and Cardinal on one side, Queen Margaret, Suffolk, York, Somerset, and Buckingham on the other.
As by your high imperial majesty, I had in charge at my depart for France as procurator to your excellence to marry Princess Margaret for your grace. So in the famous ancient city tours, in presence of the kings of France and Sicily, the Dukes of Orléans, Calébert, Breton, and Alesson, seven earls, twelve barons, and twenty reverend bishops. I have performed my task and was espoused, and humbly now upon my bended knee, in sight of England and her lordly peers, deliver up my title in the queen to your most gracious hands, that are the substance of that great shadow I did represent. The happiest gift that ever Marquise gave, the fairest queen that ever king received. Suffolk, arise. Welcome, Queen Margaret. I can express no kinder sign of love than this kind kiss. Oh, Lord, that lends me life, lend me a heart replete with thankfulness, for thou hast given me in this beauteous face a world of earthly blessings to my soul, if sympathy of love Unite our thoughts. Great King of England, and my gracious Lord, the mutual conference that my mind hath had by day, by night, waking and into my dreams, in courtly company or at my beads, with you, mine alder leafest so- sovereign, makes me the bolder to salute my king with ruder terms, such as my wit affords, and overjoy of heart doth minister. Her sight did ravish, but her grace and speech, her words, <laughs> clad with wisdom's majesty, makes me from wandering fall to weeping joy. Such is the fullness of my heart's content. Lords, with one cheerful voice, welcome my love. Long live Queen, Queen Margaret. England's happiness. happiness. We thank you all. Flourish. My, uh, Lord Protector, so it please your grace, here are the uh, articles of contracted peace between our sovereign and the French King Charles for 18 months concluded by consent. Ah. Imprimis, it is agreed between the French King Charles and William de la Pole, Marquess of Suffolk, ambassador for Henry, King of England, that the said Henry shall espouse the Lady Margaret, daughter unto Renier, King of Naples, Sicilia, and Jerusalem, and crown her Queen of England ere the 30th of May next ensuing. Item, that the Duchy of Anjou and the County of Maine shall be released and delivered to the King her father. Let's the paper fall. Uncle, how now? Pardon me, gracious Lord. Some... Sudden qualm has struck me at the heart and dimmed mine eyes that I can read no further. Uncle Winchester, I pray, read on. Item, it is further agreed between them that the Duchy of Anjou and the County of Maine shall be released and delivered to the king, her father, and she sent over of the king of England's own proper cost and charges without dowry. They please us well. Lord Marquis, kneel down. We here create thee the first Duke of Suffolk and gird thee with the sword. Cousin of York, we here discharge your grace from being regent to the parts of France till term of 18 months be full expired. Thanks, Uncle Winchester, Gloucester, York, Buckingham, Somerset, Salisbury, and Warwick. 
We thank you all for the great favor done and entertainment to my princely queen. Come, let us in, and with all speed provide to see her coronation be performed. And exit King Henry the Sixth, Queen Margaret, and Suffolk. Brave peers of England, pillars of the state, to you, Duke Humphrey must unload his grief, your grief, the common grief of all the land. What? Did my brother Henry spend his youth, his valor, coin, and people in the wars? Did he so often lodge in the open field, in winter's cold and summer's parching heat, to conquer France, his true inheritance? And did my brother Bedford toil his wits to keep by policy what Henry got? Have you yourselves, Somerset, Buckingham, Brave York, Salisbury, and victorious Warwick, received deep scars in France and Normandy? Or hath mine uncle Beaufort and myself, with all the learned counsel of the realm, studied, with all the learned counsel of the realm, studied so long, sat in the council house early and late, debating to and fro how France and Frenchmen might be kept in awe, and had his highness in his infancy crowned in Paris in despite of foes? And shall these labors and these honors die? Shall Henry's conquest, Bedford's vigilance, your deeds of war, and all our counsel die? Oh, peers of England, shameful is this league, fatal this marriage, cancelling your fame, blotting your names from books of memory, raising the characters of your renown, defacing monuments of conquered France, undoing all as all had never been. Nephew, what means this passionist discourse, this peroration with such circumstance? For France, tis ours, and we will keep it still. Aye, uncle, we will keep it if we can. But now, it is impossible that we should. Suffolk, the new-made duke that rules the roast, hath given the duchy of Anjou and Maine unto poor King Renier whose large style agrees not with the leanness of his purse. Now, but the death of him that died for all, these counties were the keys of Normandy. But wherefore weeps Warwick, my valiant son? For grief, that they are past recovery. For were there hope to conquer them again, my sword should shed hot blood, mine eyes no tears. Anjou and Maine, myself did win them both. Those provinces, these arms of mine did conquer, and are the cities that I got with wounds delivered up again with peaceful words? Mordieu! For Suffolk's duke may he suffocate, that dims the honor of this warlike isle. France should have torn and rent my very heart before I would have yielded to this league. I never read, but England's king have had large sums of gold and dowries with their wives. And our King Henry gives away his own to, to match with her that brings no vantages. Oh, a proper jest, and never heard before, that Suffolk should demand a whole fifteenth for costs and charges in transporting her. She should have stayed in France and starved in France before. My Lord of Gloucester, now ye grow too hot. It was the pleasure of my Lord the King. 
my Lord of Winchester, I know your mind. Tis not my speeches that you do mislike, but tis my presence that doth trouble ye. Rancor will out, proud prelate, in thy face I see thy fury. If I longer stay, we shall begin our ancient bickerings. Lordlings, farewell. And say, when I am gone, I prophesied France will be lost ere long. Exit. So there goes our protector in a rage. Tis known to you he is mine enemy. Nay, more an enemy unto you all. And no great friend, I fear me, to the king. Consider, lords, he is the next of blood and heir apparent to the English crown. Had Henry got an empire by his marriage and all the wealthy kingdoms of the West, there's reason he should be displeased at it. Look to it, lords. Let not his smoothing words bewitch your hearts. Be wise and circumspect. What thou, the common people, favor him, calling him Humphrey, the good Duke of Gloucester, clapping their hands and crying with loud voice, Jesu, maintain your royal excellence with God preserve the good Duke Humphrey. I fear me, lords, for all this flattering gloss, he will be found a dangerous protector. Why should he then protect our sovereign, he being of age to govern of himself? Cousin of Somerset, join you with me, and all together with the Duke of Suffolk, we will quickly hoist the Duke Comfrey from his seat. This weighty business will not brook delay. I'll to the Duke of Suffolk presently. Exit. Cousin of Buckingham. Though Humphrey's pride and greatness of his place be grief to us, yet let us watch the haughty cardinal. His insolence is more intolerable than all the princes in the land beside. If Gloucester be displaced, he'll be protector. Or thou or I, Somerset, will be protector, despite Duke Humphrey or the cardinal. Exit Buckingham and Somerset. Pride went before, ambition follows him. While these do labor for their own preferment, behooves it us to labor for the realm? I never saw but Humphrey, Duke of Gloucester, did bear him like a noble gentleman. Oft have I seen the haughty cardinal, more like a soldier than a man of the church, as stout and proud as he were lord of all, swear like a ruffian and demean himself unlike the ruler of a commonweal. Warwick, my son, the comfort of my age, thy deeds, thy plainness, and thy housekeeping, hath won the greatest favor of the commons, excepting none but good Duke Humphrey. And brother York, thy acts in Ireland in bringing them to civil discipline, thy late exploits done in the heart of France when thou wert regent for our sovereign, have made thee feared and honored of the people. Join me together for the public good in what we can to bridle and suppress the pride of Suffolk and the Cardinal, with Somerset's and Buckingham's ambition, and as we may cherish Duke Humphrey's deeds, while they do tend the profit of the land. So God help Warwick as he loves the land and common profit of his country. And so says York, for he hath greatest cause. Then let's make haste away and look unto the main. Unto the main? Father, main is lost. That main which by main force Warwick did win and would have kept so long as breath did last. Main chance, father, you meant, but I meant main, which I will win from France or else be slain. Exit Warwick and Salisbury. As you and main are given to the French. Paris is lost. 
the state of Normandy stands on a tickle point. Now, they are gone. Suffolk concluded on the articles, the peers agreed, and Henry was well pleased. The cha- to change two dukedoms for a duke's fair daughter, I cannot blame them all. What's it to them? Tis thine, they give away, and not their own. Pirates may make cheap pennyworths of their pillage, and purchase friends and give courtesans, still reveling like lords shall all be gone. Well, while, as the silly owner of the gods' goods weeps over them and wrings his hapless hands and shakes his head and trembling stands aloof, while all is shared and all is borne away, ready to starve and dare not touch his own. So, York must sit and fret and bite his tongue while his own lands are bargained for and sold. Methinks the realms of England, France, and Ireland bear that proportion to my flesh and blood as did the fatal brand Althea burned unto the prince's heart of Caledon, Anjou and Maine, both given unto the French. Cold news for me, for I had hope of France, even as I have of fertile England's soil. A day will come when York shall claim his own, and therefore I will take the Neville's parts, and make a show of love to proud Duke Humphrey. And when I spy advantage, claim crown, for that's the golden mark I seek to hit. Nor shall proud Lancaster usurp my rights, nor hold the scepter in his childish fist, nor wear the diadem upon his head, nor wear the diadem upon his head, whose church-like humors fits not for a crown. Then. York, be still a while, till time to serve, watch thou, and wake when others be asleep, to pry into the secrets of the state, till Henry, surfeiting the joys of love with his new bride in England's dear-bought queen, and Humphrey with the peers be fallen at jars, then will I arise aloft the milk-white rose with whose sweet smell the air shall be perfumed, and in my standard bear the arms of York to grapple with the house of Lancaster and force perforce I'll make him yield the crown whose bookish rule hath pulled fair England down. Exit. Scene two, Gloucester's house. Enter Gloucester and his duchess. Why droops my lord like over-ripened corn, hanging the head of Circe's plenteous load? Why doth the great Duke Humphrey knit his brows, as frowning at the favor of the world? Why are thine eyes fixed to the sullen earth, gazing on that which seems to dim thy sight? What seest thou there? King Henry's diadem? Encased with all the honors of the world? If so, gaze on. And grovel on thy face until thy head be circled with the same. Put forth thy hand. Reach at the glorious gold. What, is it too short? I'll lengthen it with mine. And having both together heaved it up, we'll both together lift our heads to heaven. And never more abase our sight so low as to vouchsafe one glance unto the ground. Oh, Nell, sweet Nell. If thou dost love thy lord, banish the canker of ambitious thoughts. And may that thought, when I imagine ill against my king and nephew, virtuous Henry, 
be my last breathing in this mortal world. My troublous dream this night doth make me sad. What dreamed, my lord? Tell me, and I'll requite it with sweet rehearsal of my morning's dream. Methought this staff, mine office badge in court, was broke in twain, by whom I have forgot, but as I think it was by the cardinal. And on the pieces of the broken wand were placed the heads of Edmund, Duke of Somerset, and William de la Pole, first Duke of Suffolk. This was my dream. What it doth bode, God knows. Tut. This was nothing but an argument that he that breaks a stick of Gloucester's grove shall lose his head for his presumption. But list to me, my Humphrey, my sweet duke. Methought I sat in seat of majesty in the cathedral church of Westminster. And in that chair where kings and queens are crowned, where Henry and Dame Margaret kneeled to me, and on my head did sit the diadem. Nay, Eleanor, then I must chide outright. Presumptuous dame, ill-nurtured Eleanor, art thou not second woman in the realm? Art thou not, art thou protector's wife, beloved of him? Hast thou not worldly pleasure at command above the reach or compass of thy thought? And wilt thou still be hammering treachery to tumble down thy husband and thyself from top of honor to disgrace's feet? Away from me, and let me hear no more. What? What, my lord, are you so choleric with Eleanor for telling but her dream? Next time I'll keep my dreams unto myself and not be checked. Nay, be not angry. I am pleased again. And your messenger. My, my lord protector, mm. tis with highness pleasure you do prepare to ride unto St. Albans, where as the king and queen do mean to hawk. I go. Come, Nell, that will ride with us. Yes, my good lord, I'll follow presently. Exent Gloucester and messenger. Follow I must. I cannot go before while Gloucester bears this base and humble mind. Were I a man, a duke, and next of blood, I would remove these tedious stumbling blocks and smooth my way upon their headless necks. And being a woman, I will not be slack to play my part in fortune's pageant. Where are you there, Sir John? Nay, fear me not. Man, we are alone. There's none but thee and I. Enter Hume. Sorry. Uh, Jesus preserve your royal majesty. What sayest thou? Majesty, I am but grace. But by the grace of God and Hume's advice, your grace's title shall be multiplied. What sayest thou, man? Hast thou as yet conferred with Marjorie Jourdain, the cunning witch, and Roger Bolingbroke, the conjurer? And will they undertake to do me good? This they have promised, to show your highness a spirit raised from depth of underground, that shall make answer to such questions as by your grace shall be propounded him. It is enough. I'll think upon the question. When from St. Albans we do make return, he'll see these things affected to the full. Here, Hume, 
take this reward. Make merry men with thee and thy confederates in thy weighty cause. Exit. Hugh must make merry with the Duchess's gold. Marion shall. But how now, Sir John Hume? Seal up your lips and give no words but mum. The business asketh silent secrecy. Dame Eleanor gives gold to bring the witch. Gold cannot come amiss were she a devil. Yet have I gold flies from another coast? I dare not say from the rich cardinal and from the great and new-made Duke of Suffolk, yet I do find it so. For to be plain, they, knowing Dame Eleanor's aspiring humor, have hired me to undermine the Duchess and buzz these conjurations in her brain. They say, a crafty knave does need no broker. Yet am I Suffolk and the cardinal's broker? Hume, if you take not heed, you shall go near to call them both a pair of crafty knaves. Well, so it stands. And thus, I fear, at last, Hume's knavery will be the Duchess's wreck, and her attainture will be Humphrey's fall. Sort how it will, I shall have gold for all. Exit. Scene three, the palace, enter three or four petitioners, Peter, the armorer's man, being one. My masters, let's stand close. My lord protector will come this way by and by, and then we may deliver our supplications in the quill. Marry the Lord protect him, for he's a good man. Jesus bless him. Enter Suffolk and Queen Margaret. Here it comes. Methinks, and the queen with him. I'll be the first, sure. Come back, fool. This is the Duke of Suffolk, and not my Lord Protector. How now, fellow? What's anything with me? I pray, my lord, pardon me. I took ye for my Lord Protector. To my Lord Protector? Are your supplications to his lordship? Let me see them. What is thine? Mine is, and please your grace, against John Goodman, my lord cardinal's man, for keeping my house and lands and wife and all from me. Mm, Thy wife, too. That's some wrong indeed. What's yours? What's here? Against... The Duke of Suffolk for enclosing the commons of Melford. How now, Sir Knave? Alas, sir, I am but a poor petitioner for our whole township. Against my master, Thomas Horner, for saying that the Duke of York was rightful heir to the crown. What sayest thou? Did the Duke of York say he was rightful heir to the crown? That my master was, (laughs) no, forsooth, My master said that he was, and that the king was a usurper. Who is there? Enter servant. Take this fellow in and send for his master with a persuivant presently. We'll uh, hear more of your matter before the king. Exit servant with Peter. And as for you that love to be protected, under the wings of our protector's grace, begin your suits anew and sue to him. Away, base cullions. Suffolk, let them go. Come, let's be gone. Exit. My lord of Suffolk, say, is this the guise? Is this the fashion in the court of England? Is this the government of Britain's Isle? And this the royalty of Albion's king? What shall King Henry be a pupil still under the surly Gloucester's governance? Am I a queen in title and in style and must be made a subject to a duke? I tell thee, Pole, when in my city tours thou ranst a tilt in honor of my love, then stolest away the ladies' hearts of France, I thought King Henry had resembled thee in courage, 
courtship and proportion, but all his mind is bent to holiness, to number Ave Marys in his beads. His champions are the prophets and apostles, his weapons, holy saws of sacred writ. His study is his tilt yard, and his loves are brazen images of canonized saints. I bet the College of the Cardinals would choose him Pope and carry him to Rome and set the triple crown upon his head. That were a state fit for his holiness. Madam, be patient. As I was cause your highness came to England, so will I in England work your grace's full content. Beside the haughty protector, have we Beaufort, the imperious churchman, Somerset, Buckingham, and grumbling York, and not least of these, but can do more in England than the king. And uh, he of these that can do most of all cannot do more in England than the Nevilles. Salisbury and Warwick are no simple peers. Not all these lords do vex me half so much as that proud dame, the Lord Protector's wife. She sweeps it through the court with troops of ladies, more like an empress than Duke Humphrey's wife. Strangers in court do take her for the queen. She bears a duke's revenues on her back, and in her heart she scorns our poverty. Shall I not live to be avenged on her? Contemptuous, base-born callot as she is. She vaunted amongst her minions the other day. The very train of her worst-wearing gown was better worth than all my father's lands till Suffolk gave two dukedoms for his daughter. Madam, myself have limed a bush for her and placed a choir of such enticing birds that she will light to listen to the lays and never mount to trouble you again. So... Let her rest, and madam, listen to me, for I am bold to counsel you in this, although we fancy not the cardinal, yet must we join with him and with the lords till we have brought Duke Humphrey in disgrace. As for the Duke of York, this late complaint will make but little for his benefit, so one by one. We'll weed them all at last, and you yourself shall steer the happy helm. Sound of Senate. Enter King Henry VI, Gloucester Cardinal, Buckingham, York, Somerset, Salisbury, Warwick, and the Duchess. For my part, noble lords, I care not which, or Somerset or York, all's one to me. If York have ill-demeaned himself in France, then let him be denied the regentship. If Somerset be unworthy of the place, let York be regent. I will yield to him. Whether your grace be worthy, yea or no, dispute not that. York is the worthier. Ambitious Warwick, let thy betters speak. The cardinal's not my better in the field. All in this presence are thy betters, Warwick. Warwick may live to be the best of all. Peace, son, and show some reason, Buckingham why Somerset should be preferred in this. Because the king, forsooth, will have it so. Madam, the king is old enough himself to give his censure. These are no woman's matters. If he be old enough, what needs your grace to be protector of his excellence? Madam, I am protector of the realm, and at his pleasure will resign my place. Resign it, then, and leave thine insolence. Since thou art king, as... Who is king but thou? The commonwealth hath daily run to wreck. The Dauphin hath prevailed beyond the seas, and all the peers and nobles of the realm have been as bondmen to thy sovereignty.
This is Jim. Jim, are you there? Does anyone have eyes on Jim? There he is. He's on. You're there. I unmuted. Sorry. I was on mute. Ah, in the commons hast thou racked. The clergy's bags are lank and lean with thy extortions. Thy sumptuous buildings and thy wife's attire have cost a mass of public treasury. Thy cruelty and execution upon offenders hath exceeded law and left thee to the mercy of the law. Thy sale of offices and towns in France, if they were known, as, this, the sus- as the suspect is great, would make thee quickly hop without thy head. Exit, Glo- Exit Gloucester, Queen Margaret drops her fan. Give me my fan. What minion can ye not? She gives the Duchess a box on the ear. I cry you mercy, madam, was it you? Was I? Yea, I it was, proud Frenchwoman. Come, could I come near your beauty with my nails? I'd set my ten commandments in your face. Sweet aunt, be quiet. T'was against her will. Against her will? Good king, look to it in time. She'll hamper thee and dandle thee like a baby. Though in this place most master wear no breeches, she shall not strike Dame Elnor unrevenged. Exit. Lord Cardinal, I will follow Elnor and listen after Humphrey, how he proceeds. She's tickled now. Her fume needs no spurs. She'll gallop far enough to her destruction. Exit. Re-enter Gloucester. Now, lords, my collar being overblown with walking once about the quadrangle, I come to talk of Commonwealth affairs. As for your spiteful false objections, prove them, and I lie open to the law. But, God in mercy, so deal with my soul, as I in duty love my king and country. But to the matter we have in hand, I say, my sovereign, York is the meetest man to be your regent in the realm of France. Beep. Before we make election, give me leave to show some reason of no little force that York is most unmeet of any man. I'll tell thee, Suffolk, why I am unmeet. First, for I cannot flatter thee in pride. Next, if I be appointed for the place, my lord of Somerset will keep me here without discharge, money, or furniture, till France be won into the Dauphin's hands. Last time I danced attendance on his will till Paris was besieged, famished, and lost. That can I witness, and a fouler fact did never traitor in the land commit. Peace, headstrong Warwick. Image of pride? Why should I hold my peace? Because here is a man accused of treason. Pray God the Duke of York excuse himself. Doth anyone accuse York for a traitor? What means thou, Suffolk? Tell me, what are these? Please it, your majesty. This is the man that doth accuse his master of high treason. His words were these, that Richard, Duke of York, was rightful heir unto the English crown, and that your majesty was a usurper. Say, man, were these thy words? And shall please your majesty, I never said nor thought any such matter. God is my witness, I am falsely accused by the villain. By these ten bones, my lords, he did speak them to me in the garret one night, as we were scouring my lord of York's armor. Base dunghill villain and mechanical, I'll have thy head for this, thy traitor's speech. I do beseech 
your royal majesty, let him have all the rigor of the law. Alas, my lord, hang me if I ever spake the words. My accuser is my prentice, and when I did correct him for his fault the other day, he did vow upon his knees he'd be even with me. I have good witness of this. Therefore, I beseech your majesty, do not cast away an honest man for a villain's accusation. Uncle, what shall we say to this in law? Ah, This doom, my lord, if I may judge. Let Somerset be regent over the French, because in York this breeds suspicion. And let these have a day appointed them for single combat in convenient place, for he hath witness of his servant's malice. This is the law, and this Duke Humphrey's doom. I humbly thank your royal majesty. And I accept the combat willingly. Alas, my lord, I cannot fight. For God's sake, pity my case. The spite of man prevaileth against me. O Lord, have mercy upon me. I shall never be able to fight a blow. O Lord, my heart. Sirrah, you must fight or else be hanged. Away with them to prison. And the day of combat shall be the last of the next month. Come, Somerset, we'll see thee sent away. God damn it. Flourish, exit. Scene four, Gloucester's Garden. Enter Margaret Jourdain, Hume, Southwell, and Bolingbroke. Come, my masters. The Duchess, I tell you, expects performance of your promises. Hillary, are you here? (laughs) Yep, sorry I forgot that was me. (laughs) Uh, First line, Master Hume. Okay, sorry. Master Hume, we are therefore provided. Will her ladyship behold and hear our exorcisms? Aye, what else? Fear you not her courage? I have heard her reported to be a woman of an invincible spirit, but it shall be convenient, Master Hume, that you be by her aloft, while we be busy below. And so I pray you go in God's name and leave us. Exit Hume. Mother Jordane, be you prostrate and grovel on the earth. John Southwell, read you, and let us to our work. Enter the Duchess aloft, Hume following. Well said, my masters, and welcome all. To this gear, the sooner the better. Patience, good lady. Wizards know their times. Deep night, dark night, the silence of the night. The time of night when Troy was set on fire. The time when screech owls cry and band dogs howl. And spirits walk, and ghosts break upon their graves. That time best fits the work we have in mind. Madam, sit you, and fear not. Whom we raise, we'll make fast within a hallowed verge. Here they do the ceremonies belonging and make the circle. Bolingbroke or Southwell reads. Thunder, spirits riseth. <laughs> Uh, 
Invite my lords of Salisbury and Warwick to sup with me tomorrow night. Away! Exit. Act 2, Scene 1, St. Albans. Enter King Henry VI, Queen Margaret Gloucester, Cardinal and Suffolk, with falconers hallowing. Believe me, lords, for flying at the brook, I saw not better sport these seven years' day. Yet, by your leap, the wind was very high, and ten to one, old Joan had not gone out. But what a point, my lord, your falcon made, and what a pitch she flew above the rest. To see how God in all his creatures works. Yea, man and birds are fain of climbing high. No marvel, Annet, like your majesty. My lord protector's hawks do tower so well. They know their master loves to be aloft and bears his thoughts above his falcon's pitch. <laughs> My lord, tis but a base ignoble mind that mounts no higher than a bird can soar. I thought as much. He would be above the clouds. Aye, my lord cardinal, how think you that? Were it not good, your grace could fly to heaven? The treasury of everlasting joy. Thy heaven is on earth. Thine eyes and thoughts bear beat on a crown. The treasure of thy heart, pernicious protector, dangerous peer, that smoothed it so with the king and commonwealth. <laughs> what, cardinal? Is your priesthood grown preemptory? Tantene animus celestibus ire? Churchman so hot. Good uncle, hide such malice. With such holiness, can you do it? No malice, sir. No more than well becomes so good a quarrel and so bad appear. As who, my lord? Why, as you, my lord. And it's like your... Lordly Lord Protectorship. Why, Suffolk, England knows thine insolence. And thy ambition, Gloucester. I prithee peace, good queen, and wet not on these furious peers, for blessed are the peacemakers on earth. Let me be blessed for the peace I make against this proud protector with my sword. Oh, faith, holy uncle, would twere come to that. Mary, when thou darest. Make up no factious numbers for the matter. In thine own person answer thy abuse. I, where thou darest, not peep. And if thou darest, this evening, on the east side of the grove. How now, my lords? Believe me, cousin Gloucester, had not your man put up the fowl so suddenly we had had more sport. Mm -hmm. Come with thy two-hand sword. True, uncle. Are ye advised, the east side of the grove? Cardinal, I am with you. Why, how now, Uncle Gloucester? Talking of hawking, nothing else, my lord. Are the east side of the grove? Now, by God's mother, priest, I'll shave your crown for this, or all my fence shall fail. Oh. Jim seems to have disappeared. Ah. Uh, so he says some Latin things and then protect yourself. <clears throat> the winds grow high, so do your stomachs, Lord. Protector, see to protect yourself. The winds grow high, so do your stomachs, Lord. How irksome is this music to my heart. 
when such strings jar, what hope of harmony? I pray, my lords, let me compound this strife. Enter a townsman of St. Albans crying, a miracle! What means this noise? Fellow, what miracle dost thou proclaim? A miracle! A miracle! Come to the king and tell him what miracle. Forsooth, a blind man at St. Albans Shrine within this half hour hath received his sight, a man that ne'er saw him his life before. Now, God be praised that to believing souls gives light and darkness, comfort in despair. Enter the mayor of St. Albans and his brethren, bearing Simcox between two in a chair and Simcox's wife following. Here comes the townsman on procession to present your highness with the man. Great is his comfort in this earthly veil, although by his sight his sin be multiplied. Stand by, my masters. Bring him near the king. His highness's pleasure is to talk with him. Good fellow, tell us here the circumstance that we for thee may glorify the Lord. What, hast thou been long blind and now restored? Born blind and please, your grace. Aye, indeed, he was. What woman is this? His wife, and like your worship. Uh, hadst thou been his mother, thou couldst have better told. Where wert thou born? At Berwick in the north, and like your grace. Poor soul, God's goodness hath been great to thee. Let never day nor light unhallowed pass, but still remember what the Lord hath done. Tell me, good fellow. Camest thou here by chance, or of devotion to this holy shrine? God knows of pure devotion, being called a hundred times and oftener in my sleep, by good St. Alban, who said, Simcox, come, come, offer up my shrine, and I will help thee. Most true, forsooth, and many time and oft myself have heard a voice to call him so. What, art thou lame? Aye, God Almighty help me. How camest thou so? A fall off of a tree. A plum tree, master. How long hast thou been blind? Born so, master. What, and wouldst climb a tree? But that in all my life when I was a youth. Too true, and bought his climbing very dear. Mass, thou lovest plums well that wouldst venture so. Alas, good master, my wife desired some damsons and made me climb with danger of my life. A subtle knave, but yet it shall not serve. Let me see thine eyes. Wink now. Now open them. In my opinion, yet thou seest not well. Yes, master, clear as day, I thank God and St. Alban. Sayst thou me so? What color is this cloak of? Oh, red, master, red as blood. Why, that's well said. What color is my gown of? Uh, a black, forsooth, coal black as jet. Why, then, thou knowest what color jet is of? And yet... And yet I think jet did he never see. But cloaks and gowns before this day a many. Never before this day in all my life, in all his life. Tell me, sir, uh, what's my name? Uh, alas, master, I know not. What's his name? I know not. Nor his? No, indeed, master. What's thine own name? Saunders Simcox, and it, and it will please you, master. Then, Saunders, 
sit there, the lyingest knave in Christendom. If thou hadst been born blind, thou mightst as well have known all our names as thus to name the several colors we do wear. Sight may distinguish of colors, but suddenly to nominate them all, it is impossible. My lords, St. Alban here hath done a miracle, and would ye not think his cunning to be great that could restore this cripple to his legs again? Oh, master, that you could. <laughs> My masters of St. Alban's, have you not beetles in your town and things called whips? Yes, my lord, if it please your grace. Then send for one, presently. Oh. Sarah, go fetch the beetle, hither straight. Exit an attendant. Now fetch me a stool hither, by and by. Now, Sirrah, if you mean to save yourself from whipping, leap me over this stool and run away. Uh, Alas, master, I am not able to stand alone. You go about to torture me in vain. Enter a beetle with whips. Well, sir, we must have you find your legs. Sirrah Beetle, whip him till he leap over that same stool. I will, my lord. Come on, Zara. Off with your doublet, quickly. Alas, master, what shall I do? I am not able to stand. After the beetle hath hit him once, he leaps over the stool and runs away, and they follow and cry, A miracle. <laughs> oh, God. Seest thou this, and bearest so long? <laughs> it made me laugh to see the villain run. Follow the knave and take his drab away. Alas, sir, we did it for pure need. Let them be whipped through every market town till they come to Berwick from whence they came. Exit wife, beetle, mare, and company. Duke Humphrey has done a miracle today. True. Made the lame to leap and fly away. Oh, but you have done more miracles than I. You made in a day, my lord, whole towns to fly. Enter Buckingham. What tidings with our cousin Buckingham? Such as my heart doth tremble to unfold. Sort of naughty persons, lewdly bent, under the countenance and confederacy of Lady Eleanor, the protector's wife, the ringleader and head of all this rout, have practiced dangerously against your suit, dealing with witches and with conjurers, whom we have apprehended in the fact, raising up wicked spirits from underground, demanding of King Henry's life and death, and other of your highness's privy council. As more at large, your grace shall understand. And so, my lord protector, by this means, your lady is forthcoming yet at London. This news, I think, hath turned your weapon's edge. Tis like, my lord, you will not keep your hour. Ambitious churchman, leave to afflict my heart. Sorrow and grief have vanquished all my powers. And vanquished as I am, I yield to thee, or to the meanest groom. Oh, God, what mischiefs work the wicked ones, heaping confusion on their own heads thereby. Gloucester, see here the tainture of thy nest, and look thyself be faultless, thou art best. Madam, for myself to heaven do I appeal how I have loved my king and commonweal. And for my wife... I know not how it stands. Sorry am I to hear what I have heard. Noble she is. But if she have forgot honor and virtue and conversed with such as like to pitch defile nobility, 
I banish her, my bed and company, and give her as prey to law and shame that hath dishonored Gloucester's honest name. Well, for this night we will repose us here. Tomorrow, toward London, back again, to look into this business thoroughly and call these foul offenders to their answers and poise the cause and justice equal scales whose beams stand sure, whose rightful cause prevails. Flourish exempt. Scene two, London, York's Garden. Enter York, Salisbury, and Warwick. Now, my good lords of Salisbury and Warwick, our simple supper ended, give me leave in this close walk to satisfy myself in craving your opinion of my title, which is infallible, to England's crown. My lord, I long to hear it at full. Sweet York, begin, and if thy claim be good, the Nevilles are thy subjects to command. Then thus, Edward the Third, my lords, had seven sons. The first, Edward the Black Prince, Prince of Wales. The second, William of Hatfield, and the third, Lionel, Duke of Clarence, next to whom was John of Gaunt, the Duke of Lancaster. The fifth was Edmund Langley, Duke of York. The sixth was Thomas of Woodstock, Duke of Gloucester. William of Windsor was the seventh and last. Edward the Black Prince died before his father and left behind him Richard, his only son, who after Edward III's death reigned as king till Henry Bolingbroke, Duke of Lancaster, the eldest son and heir of John Gaunt, crowned by the name of Henry IV, seized on the realm, deposed the rightful king, sent his poor queen to France from whence she came, and him to Pomfret, where, as all you know, harmless Richard was murdered traitorously. Father, the duke hath told the truth, thus got the house of Lancaster the crown. Which now they held by force and not by right, for Richard, the first son's heir, being dead, the issue of the next son should have reigned. But William of Hatfield died without an heir. The third son, Duke of Clarence, from whose line I claim the crown, had issue. Philippe, a daughter who married Edmund Mortimer, Earl of March. Edmund had issue. Roger, Earl of March. Roger had issue. Edmund, Anne, and Eleanor. This Edmund in the reign of Bolingbroke, as I have read, laid claim unto the crown. And, but for Owen Glendower, had been king, who kept him in captivity till he died. But to the rest. His eldest sister, Anne, my mother, being heir unto the crown, married Richard, Earl of Cambridge, who is son to Edmund Langley, Edward the third, the third, Edward the third's fifth son. By her, I claim the kingdom. She was heir to Roger, Earl of March, who was the son of Edmund Mortimer, who married Philippe, sole daughter unto Lionel, Duke of Clarence. So if the issue of the elder son succeed before the younger, I am king. What plain proceeding is more plain than this? Henry doth claim the crown from John of Gaunt, the fourth son. York claims it from the third. Till Lionel's issue fails, his should not reign. It fails not yet, but flourishes in thee and in thy sons. Fair slips of such a stuff. <coughs> then, Father Salisbury, Kneel we together, and in this private plot be we the first that shall salute our rightful sovereign with honor of his birthright to the crown. Long live live our our sovereign sovereign Richard, Richard, England's king. We thank you, lords, but I am not your king till I be crowned, and that my sword be stained with heart blood of the house of Lancaster, and that's not suddenly to be performed. 
But with advice and silent secrecy, do you, as I do in these dangerous days, wink at the Duke of Suffolk's insolence, at Beaufort's pride, at Somerset's ambition, at Buckingham and all the crew of them, till they have snared the shepherd of the flock, that virtuous prince, the Duke, the good Duke Humphrey, tis that they seek, and they, in seeking that, shall find their deaths, if York can prophesy. My lord, Lord, break we off? We know your mind at full. My heart assures me that the Earl of Warwick shall one day make the Duke of York a king. And, Neville, this I do assure myself. Richard shall live to make the Earl of Warwick the greatest man in England but the king. Excellent. Scene three, a hall of justice. Sound trumpets enter King Henry VI, Queen Margaret, Gloucester, York, Suffolk, and Salisbury. The Duchess, Margaret, Jordan, Southwell, Hume, and Bolingbroke under guard. Stand forth, Dame Elmore Cobham, Gloucester's wife. In sight of God and us, your guilt is great. Receive the sentence of the law for sins, such as by God's book are adjudged to death. You four, from hence to prison, back again. From thence unto the place of execution. The witch in Smithfield shall be burned to ashes, and you three shall be strangled on the gallows. You, madam, for you are more nobly born, despoiled of your honor in your life, shall, after three days' open penance done, live in your country here in banishment with Sir John Stanley in the Isle of Man. Welcome is banishment. Welcome were my death. Eleanor, the law thou seest hath judged thee. I cannot justify what the law condemns. Exunt Duchess and other prisoners guarded. Mine eyes are full of tears, my heart of grief. Ah, Humphrey, this dishonor in thine age will bring thy head with sorrow to the ground. I beseech your majesty, give me leave to go. Sorrow would solace, and mine age would ease. Stay, Humphrey, Duke of Gloucester. Ere thou go, give up thy staff. Henry will to himself protector be, and God shall be my hope, my stay, my guide, and lantern to my feet. And go in peace, Humphrey, no less beloved than when thou wert protector to thy king. I see no reason why a king of years should be to be protected like a child. God and King Henry govern England's realm. Give up your staff, sir, and the king his realm. My staff. Here, noble Henry, is my staff. As willingly do I the same resign as ere thy father Henry made it mine. And even as willingly at thy feet I leave it as others would ambitiously receive it. Farewell, good king. When I am dead and gone, may honorable peace attend thy throne. Exit. Why, now is Henry king and Margaret queen, and Humphrey Duke of Gloucester scarce himself. That bears so shrewd a maim, two poles at once, his lady banished and a limb lopped off. This staff of honor wrought, there let it stand where it best fits to be in Henry's hand. Thus droops this lofty pine and hangs his sprays. Thus Eleanor's pride dies in her youngest days. Lords, let him go. Please it, your majesty, this is the day appointed for the combat. 
and ready are the appealant and defendant, the armorer and his man, to enter the lists. So please, your highness, to behold the fight. Aye, good my lord, for purposely, therefore, left I the court to see this quarrel tried. Oh, God's name, see the lists and all things fit. Here let them end it, and God defend the right. I never saw a fellow worse bested or more afraid to fight than is the appealant, the servant of this armorer, my lords. Enter at one door Horner the armorer and his neighbors, drinking to him so much that he is drunk, and he enters with a drum before him and his staff with a sandbag fastened to it, and at the other door Peter his man with a drum and a sandbag, and Prentices drinking to him. Here, neighbor Horner, I drink to you in a cup of sack, and fear not, neighbor, you shall do well enough. And here, neighbor, here's a cup of charnico. And here's a pot of good double beer, neighbor. Drink, and fear not your man. Let it come, faith, and I'll pledge you all, and a fig for Peter. First prentice here, Peter, I drink to thee, and be not afraid, second prentice. Be merry, Peter, and fear not for thy master. Fight for credit of the prentices. Um. I thank you all. Drink and pray for me. I pray you, for I think I have taken my last draft in this world. Here, Robin, and if I die, I give thee my apron. And Will, thou shalt have my hammer. And here, Tom, take all the money that I have. Oh, Lord, bless me. I pray God. For I am never able to deal with my master. He hath learnt me so much fence already. Come, leave your drinking and fall to blows. Sirrah, what's thy name? Peter, forsooth. Peter, what more? Thump. Thump. Then see thou thump thy master well. Good luck. Masters, I am come hither, as it were, upon my man's instigation to prove him a knave and myself an honest man. And touching the Duke of York, I will take my death. I never meant him any ill, nor the king, nor the queen, and therefore, Peter, have at thee with a downright blow. Dispatch, this knave's tongue begins to double. Sound trumpets alarm to the combatants. Alarm, they fight, and Peter strikes him down. Hold, dear, hold! I confess treason! Dies. (laughs) Take away his weapon, fellow, thank God, and the good wine in thy master's way. Oh, God. Have I overcome mine enemy in this presence? Oh, Peter, thou hast prevailed in right. Go, take hence the traitor from our sight. For his death we do perceive his guilt, and God in justice hath revealed to us the truth and innocence of this poor fellow, which he had thought to have murdered wrongfully. Come, fellow, follow us for thy reward. Sound of flourish, exeunt. Scene four, a street, enter Gloucester and his serving men in mourning cloaks. Thus sometimes hath the brightest day a cloud. And after summer evermore succeeds barren winter with his wrathful nipping cold. So cares and joys abound as seasons fleet. Sirs, 
What's o'clock? Ten, my lord. Ten is the hour that was appointed me to watch the coming of my punished duchess. Anith she may endure the flinty streets to tread them with her tender-feeling feet. Oh, sweet Nell, ill can thy noble mind abrook the abject people gazing on thy face with envious looks, laughing at thy shame, that erst did follow thy proud chariot wheels when thou didst ride in triumph through the streets. But soft, I think she comes, and I'll prepare my tear-stained eyes to see her miseries. Enter the Duchess in a white sheet and a taper burning in her hand, with Stanley, the sheriff, and officers. So please, your grace, we'll take her from the sheriff. No, stir not for your lives. Let her pass by. Am you, my lord, to see my open shame? Now thou dost penance too. Look how they gaze. Now thou dost pen- see how the giddy multitude do point and nod their heads and throw their eyes on thee. O Gloucester, hide thee from thy hateful looks, and in thy closet pent up room my shame, and ban thine enemies, both mine and thine. Be patient, gentle Nell, forget this grief. Ah, Gloucester, teach me to forget myself. For whilst I think I am thy married wife, and thou a prince, protector of this land, methinks I should not thus be led along, mailed up in shame with papers on my back, and followed with a rabble that rejoice to see my tears and hear my deep bed groans. The ruthless flint doth cut my tender feet, and when I start, the envious people laugh and bid me be advised how I tread. Ah, Humphrey, can I bear this shameful yoke? Trust thou that e'er I'll look upon the world, or count them happy that enjoy the sun. No. Dark shall be my light, and night my day. To think upon my pomp shall be my hell. Sometime I'll say, I am Duke Humphrey's wife, and he a prince and ruler of the land. Yet so he ruled, and such a prince he was, as he stood by, whilst I, his forlorn duchess, was made a wonder and a pointing stock to every idle rascal follower. But be thou mild, and blush not at my shame, nor stir at nothing till the axe of death hang over thee as sure. It shortly will. For Suffolk, he that can do all in all with her that hateth thee, and hates us all, and York, and impious Beaufort, that false priest, have all limed bushes to betray thy wings. And fly thou how thou canst, they'll tangle thee. But fear not thou until thy foot be snared nor never seek prevention of thy foes. Ah, Nell, forbear. Thou aimest all awry. I must offend before I be attainted. And I had, and had I twenty times so many foes, and each of them had twenty times their power, all these could not procure me any scathes so long as I am loyal, true, and crimeless. Wouldst have me rescue thee from this reproach? Why, yet thy scandal were not wiped away, but I in danger for the breach of law. Thy greatest help is quiet, gentle Nell. I pray thee, sort thy heart to patience. These few days' wonder will be quickly worn. Enter a herald. I summon your grace to his majesty's parliament, Holden at Bury the first of this next month. And my consent ne'er asked herein before. 
This is close dealing. Well, I will be there. Exit Harold. My Nell, I take my leave. And Master Sheriff, let not her penance exceed the King's commission. And please, Your Grace, here my commission states that Sir John Stanley is appointed now to take her with him to the Isle of Man. Must you, Sir John, protect my lady here? So am I given in charge, may it please your grace. And treat her not the worse in that I pray you use her well. The world may laugh again, and I may live to do you kindness if you do it her. And so, Sir John, farewell. What? Gone, my lord, and bid me not farewell. Witness my tears. I cannot stay to speak. Art thou gone too? All comfort go with thee, for none abides with me. My joy is death, death at whose name I oft have been afeared, because I wished the world's eternity. Stanley, I prithee go and take me hence. I care not whither, for I beg no favor, only convey me where thou art commanded. Why, madam, that is to the Isle of Man, there to be used according to your state. That's bad enough, for I am but reproach. And shall I then be used reproachfully? Like to a duchess and Duke Humphrey's lady, according to that state you shall be used. Sheriff, farewell. And better than I fare, although thou hast been conduct of my shame. It is my office, and madam, pardon me. I, I farewell. My office is discharged. Come, Stanley, shall we go? Madam, your penance done, throw off this sheet, and go we to attire you for our journey. My shame will not be lifted, shifted with my sheet. No, it will hang upon my riches' robes and show itself. Attire me how I can. Go. Lead the way. I long to see my prison. Exit. Act 3, Scene 1, the Abbey at Bury's St. Edmunds. Sound a Senate. Enter King Henry VI, Queen Margaret, Cardinal, Suffolk, York, Buckingham, Salisbury, and Warwick to the Parliament. I news my Lord of Gloucester is not come. Tis not his wont to be the hindmost man. Whate'er occasion keeps him from us now. Can you not see? Or will you not observe the strangeness of his altered countenance? With what a majesty he bears himself. How insolent of late he has become. How proud, how peremptory, and unlike himself. We know the time since he was mild and affable, and if we did but glance a far-off look, immediately he was upon his knee, that all the court admired him for submission. But meet him now, and be it in the morn, when everyone will give the time of day, he knits his brow and shows an angry eye, and passeth by with stiff, unbowed knee, disdaining duty that to us belongs. Small curs are not regarded when they grin, but great men tremble when the lion roars, and Humphrey is no little man in England. First, note that he is near you in descent, and should you fall, he is that he as the next will mount. Meseemeth then, it is no policy, respecting what a rancorous mind he bears, and his advantage following your decease, that he should come about your royal person, or be admitted to your highness council. By flattery hath he won the commons' hearts, and when he pleased to make commotion, tis to be feared they all will follow him. 
Now tis the spring, and weeds are shallow-rooted. Suffer them now, and they'll o'ergrow the garden and choke the herbs for want of husbandry. The reverent care I bear unto my lord made me collect these dangers in the duke. If it, if it be fond, call it a woman's fear, which fear, if better reasons can supplant, I will subscribe and say I wronged the duke. My lord of Suffolk, Buckingham, and York, reprove my allegation if you can, or else conclude my words effectual. Well hath your highness seen into this duke, and had I first been put to speak my mind, I think I should have told your grace's tale. The duchess, by his subordination upon my life, began her devilish practices, or if he were not privy to those faults, yet by reputing them of his tied descent as next to the king he was successive heir, and such high vaunts of his nobility did instigate the bedlam brain-sick duchess by wicked means to frame our sovereign's fall. Smooth runs the water where the brook is deep, and in his simple show he harbors treason. The fox barks not when he would steal the lamb. No. No, my sovereign, Gloucester's a man, unsounded yet, and full of deep deceit. Did he not, contrary to form of law, defies strange deaths for small offenses done? And did he not, in his protectorship, levy great sums of money through the realm for soldiers' pay in France, and never sent it? By means whereof the towns each day revolted. But these are petty faults to faults unknown which time will bring to light in smooth Duke Humphrey. My lords, at once, the care you have of us to mow down thorns that would annoy our foot is worthy praise. But shall I speak my conscience? Our kinsman Gloucester is as innocent from meaning treason to our royal person as is the sucking lamb or harmless dove. The Duke is virtuous, mild, and too well given to dream on evil or to work my downfall. Ah! What's more dangerous than this fond defiance? Seems he a dove. His feathers are but borrowed, for he is disposed as, disposed as the hateful raven. Is he a lamb? His skin is surely lent him, for he's inclined as is the ravenous wolf. Who cannot steal a shape that means deceit? Take heed, my lord. The welfare of us all hangs on the cutting short of that fraudful man. Enter Somerset. All health unto my gracious sovereign. Welcome, Lord Somerset. What news from France? That all your interest in those territories is utterly bereft you. All is lost. Cold news, Lord Somerset. But God's will be done. Cold news for me, for I had hope of France as firmly as I have I hope for fertile England. Thus are my blossoms blasted in the bud, and caterpillars eat my leaves away. But I will remedy this gear ere long, or sell my title for a glorious grave. Enter Gloucester. All happiness unto the Lord my King. Pardon, my liege, that I have stayed so long. Nay, Gloucester, know that thou art come too soon unless thou wert more loyal than thou art. I do arrest thee of high treason here. Well, Suffolk, thou shalt not see me blush, nor change my countenance for this arrest. A heart unspotted is not easily daunted. 
The purest spring is not so free from mud as I am clear from treason to my sovereign. Who can accuse me? Wherein am I guilty? Tis thought, my lord, that you took the bribes of France, and being protector, stayed the soldier's pay, by means whereof his highness hath lost France. Is it but thought so? What are they that think it? I never robbed the soldiers of their pay, nor ever had one penny bribe from France. So help me God, as I have watched the night, I, night by night, in studying good for England, that what I e'er wrested from the king or any groat I hoarded to my use be brought against me at my trial day. No, many a pound of mine own proper store, because I would not tax the needy commons, have I dispersed to the garrisons, and ne'er asked for restitution. Serves you well, my lord, to say so much. I say no more than truth, so help me God. In your protectorship you did devise strange tortures for offenders never heard of, that England was defamed by tyranny. (laughs) Why, tis well known that whiles I was protector, pity was all the fault that was in me. For I should melt at an offender's tears, and lowly words were ransom for their fault. Unless it were a bloody murderer or foul felonious thief that fleeced poor passengers, I never gave them condign punishment. Murder, indeed, that bloody sin I tortured above the felon, or what trespass else. My lord, these faults are easy, quickly answered. But mightier crimes are laid unto your charge whereof you cannot easily purge yourself. I do arrest you in his highness's name and here commit you to my lord cardinal to keep until your further time of trial. My lord of Gloucester, tis my special hope that you will clear yourself from all suspect. My conscience tells me you are innocent. Ah, gracious lord, these days are dangerous. Virtue is choked with foul ambition, and charity chased hence by rancor's hand. Foul subornation is predominant, and equity exiled your highness's land. I know their complot is to have my life. And if my death might make this island happy and prove their period the period of their tyranny, I would expend it with all willingness. But mine is made the prologue to their play. For thousands more that yet suspect no peril will not conclude their plotted tragedy. Beaufort's red sparkling eyes blab his heart's malice. And Suffolk's cloudy brow his stormy hate. Sharp Buckingham unburthens with his tongue the envious load that lies upon his heart. And dogged York that reaches at the moon, whose o'erweening arm I have plucked back, by false accuse doth level at my life. And you, my sovereign lady, with the rest causeless have laid disgraces on my head, and with your best endeavor have stirred up my leafest liege to be mine enemy. I, all you, have laid your heads together, myself had notice of your conventicles and all to make away my guiltless life. I shall not want false witness to condemn me, nor store of treasons to augment my guilt. 
The ancient proverb will be well effected. A staff is quickly found to beat a dog. My liege, his railing is intolerable. If those that care to keep your royal person from treason, secret knife, and traitor's rage be thus upbraided, chid, and rated at, and the offender granted scope of speech, t'will make them cool and zeal unto your grace. Hath he not twit our sovereign lady here, with ignominious words, though clerkly couched, as if she had suborned some to swear false allegations to overthrow his state? But I can give a loser leave to chide. Far truer spoke than meant. I lose, indeed. Beshrew the winners, for they played me false. And well such losers may have leave to speak. He'll rest the sense, and hold us here all day. Lord Cardinal, he is your prisoner. Sirs, take away the duke and guard him, sure. Ah, thus King Henry throws away his crutch before his legs be firm to bear his body. Thus is the shepherd beaten from thy side, and wolves are gnarling who shall gnaw thee first. Ah, that my fear were false. Ah, that it were. For good King Henry, thy decay I fear. Exit guarded. My lords, what to your wisdoms seemeth best do or undo, as if our self were here? What? Will your highness leave the parliament? Aye, Margaret. My heart is drowned with grief, whose flood begins to flow within mine eyes. My body round and girt with misery, for what's more miserable than discontent? Ah, Uncle Humphrey, in thy face I see the map of honor, truth, and loyalty. And yet, good Humphrey, is the hour come that ere I prove thee false or feared thy faith, What lowering star now envies thy estate that these great lords and Margaret our queen do seek subversion of thy harmless life? Thou never didst them wrong, nor no man wrong. And as the butcher takes away the calf and binds the wretch and beats it when it strays, bearing it to bloody slaughterhouse, even so remorseless have they borne him hence. And as the dam runs lowing up and down, looking the way her harmless young one went, and can do naught but wail her darling's loss, even so myself bewails good Gloucester's case, with sad, unhelpful tears, and with dimmed eyes, look after him, and cannot do him good, so mighty are his vowed enemies. His fortunes I will weep. And twixt each groan say, who's a traitor? Gloucester he is none. Exempt all but Queen Margaret, Cardinal Suffolk, and York. Somerset remains apart. Free, lords. Cold snow melts with the sun's hot beams. Henry, my lord, is cold in great affairs, too full of foolish pity. And Gloucester's show beguiles him as the mournful crocodile with sorrow snares relenting passengers, or as the snake rolled in a flowering bank with shining checkered slough doth sting a child that for the beauty thinks it excellent. Believe me, lords, were none more wise than I, and yet, herein I judge mine own wit good, this Gloucester should be quickly rid the world to rid us of the fear we have of him. That he should die is worthy policy, but yet we want a color for his death. Tis meet he be condemned by course of law. 
But in my mind, there were no policy. The king will labor still to save his life. The commons happily rise to save his life. And yet we have a trivial argument, more the mistrust that shows him worthy death. So that by this you would ha- not have him die. Ha <laughs> York, no man alive so fain as I. Tis York that hath more reason for his death. But, my lord cardinal, and you, my lord of Suffolk, say as you think, and speak it from your souls. Were not all one, an empty eagle were set to guard the chicken from a hungry kite, as placed Duke Humphrey for the king's protector. So the, so the poor chicken should be sure of death. Madam, tis true. And were it not madness, then, to make the fox surveyor of the fold, who, being accused a crafty murderer, his guilt should be but idly posted over, because his purpose is not executed. No. Let him die in that he is a fox, by nature proved an enemy to the flock. Before his chaps be stained with crimson blood, as Humphrey proved by reasons to my liege, and do not stand on quillets how to slay him. Be it gins, by snares, by subtlety, sleeping or waking, tis no matter how, so he be dead. For that is good deceit, which mates him first, then first intends deceit. Thrice noble Suffolk, tis resolutely spoke. Not resolute, except so much were done, for things are often spoke and seldom meant. But that my heart accordeth with my tongue, seeing the deed is meritorious, and to preserve my sovereign from his foe, say but the word, and I will be his priest. But I would have him dead, my lord of Suffolk, ere you can take due orders for a priest. Say you consent and censure well the deed, and I'll provide his executioner. I tender so the safety of my liege. Here is my hand. The deed is worth doing. And so say I. And I. And now we three have spoke it. It skills not greatly who impugns our doom. Enter a post. Great lords, from Ireland am I come amain to signify that rebels there are up and put the Englishmen unto the sword. Send suckards, lords, and stop the rage baton before the wound do grow uncurable, for being green there is great hope of help. A breach that craves a quick expedient stop. What counsel give you in this weighty cause? That Somerset be sent as regent thither. Tis meet that lucky ruler be employed. Witness the fortune he hath had in France. If York, with all his far-fet policy, had been the regent there instead of me, he never would have stayed in France so long. No, not to lose it all, as thou hast done. I rather would have lost my life betimes than bring a burthen of dishonor home. By staying there so long till all were lost, show me one scar charactered on thy skin. Men's flesh preserved so whole do seldom win. Nay, then, this spark will prove a raging fire if wind and fuel be brought to feed it with. No more, good York, sweet Somerset, be still thy fortune. York, hadst thou been regent there, might happily have proved far worse than his. What? Worse than not? Nay, then a shame take all. And in the number, thee that wishes shame. My lord of York, try what your fortune 
Britain is. The uncivil kerns of Ireland are in arms and temper clay with the blood of Englishmen. To Ireland will you lead a band of men collected choicely from each country, some, and dry your half against the Irishmen? I will, my lord, so please his majesty. Why, our authority is his consent, and what we do establish he confirms. Then, noble York, take thou this task in hand. I am content. Provide me soldiers, lords, whilst I take order for mine own affairs. A charge, Lord York, that I will see performed. But now we return to the false Duke Humphrey. No more of him, for I will deal with him that henceforth he shall trouble us no more. And so break off, the day is almost spent. Lord Suffolk, you and I must talk of that event. My Lord of Suffolk, within fourteen days at Bristol I expect my soldiers, for there, from, for there I'll ship them all for Ireland. I'll say it truly done, my Lord of York. Exent all but York. Now... York, or never steal thy fearful thoughts, and change misdoubt to resolution. Be that thou hopest to be, or what thou art, resigned to death. It is not worth the enjoying. Let pale-faced fear keep with the mean-born man, and find no harbor in in the royal heart. Faster than springtime showers comes thought on thought, and not a thought but thinks on dignity, my brain more busy than the laboring spider weaves tedious snares to trap mine enemies. Well, nobles, well, tis politically done to send me packing with a host of men. I fear me, you but warm the starved snake who, cherished in your breast, will sting your hearts. Twas men I lacked, and you will give them me. I take it kindly. And yet be well assured, you put sharp weapons in a madman's hands. Wells, I in Ireland nourish a mighty band. I will stir up in England some black storm, shall blow ten thousand souls to heaven or hell, and this fell tempest shall not cease to rage until the golden circuit on my head, like to the glorious sun's transparent beams, do calm the fury of this mad bread flaw. And for a minister of my intent, I have seduced a headstrong Kentish man, John Cad of Ashford, to make commotion as full well he can under the title of John Mortimer. In Ireland have I seen this stubborn Cad oppose himself against a troop of kerns and fought so long till that his thighs with darts were almost like a sharp-quilled porcupine, and in the end being rescued, I have seen him caper upright like a wild morisco, shaking of the bloody darts as his bells full often like a shag-haired crafty kern hath he conversed with the enemy, and undiscovered come to me again and given me notice of their villainies. This devil here shall be my substitute, for that John Mortimer, which now is dead, in face and gait and speech he doth resemble. By this I shall perceive the commons' mind, how they affect the house and claim of York. Say he be taken, racked, and tortured, I know no pain they can inflict upon him will make him say I moved him to those arms. Say that he thrive as tis great like he will, 
Why then from Ireland come I with my strength and reap the harvest which this rascal sowed? For Humphrey being dead as he shall be, and Henry put apart the next for me. Exit. Scene two, Bury St. Edmunds, a room of state. Enter certain murderers hastily. Run, my lord, run to my lord of Suffolk. Let him know we have dispatched the duke as he commanded. Oh, that it were to do. What have we done? Did never see a man so bad as that? Enter Suffolk. Now, sirs, have you dispatched this thing? Aye, my good lord. He's dead. Why, that's well said. Go, get you to my house. I will reward you for this venturous deed. The king and all the peers are here at hand. Have you laid fair the bed? Is all things well, according as I gave directions? Tis, my good lord. Away, be gone. Exit murderers. Sound trumpets enter King Henry VI, Margaret Cardinal Somerset with attendants. Go. Call our uncle to our presence straight. Say we intend to try his grace today, if he be guilty, as tis published. I'll call him presently, my noble lord. Exit. Lords, take your places. And I pray you all proceed no straighter against our uncle Gloucester than from true evidence of good esteem he be approved and practice culpable. God forbid any malice should prevail, that faultless may condemn a no- nobleman. Pray God he may acquit him of suspicion. I thank thee, Meg. These words content me much. Re-enter Suffolk. How now? Why look'st thou so pale? Why trembles thou? Where is our uncle? What's the matter, Suffolk? Dead. In his bed, my lord, Gloucester is dead. Mary, God forfend! God's secret judgment. I did dream tonight the Duke was dumb and could not speak a word. King Henry the Sixth swoons. How fares, my lord? Help! Lords, the king is dead! Rear up his body! Bring him by the nose! Run! Go! Help! Help! Oh, Henry, open thy eyes! He doth revive again, madam, be patient. Oh, heavenly God! How fares, my gracious lord? Comfort, my sovereign. Gracious Henry, comfort. What? Doth my lord of Suffolk comfort me? Came he right now to sing a raven's note whose dismal tune bereft my vital powers? And thinks he that the chirping of a wren by crying comfort from a hollow breast can chase away the first conceived sound? Hide not thy poison with such sugared words. Lay not thy hand on me. Forbear, I say. Their touch affrights me as a serpent's sting. Thou baleful messenger, out of my sight! Upon thy eyeballs, murderous tyranny sits in grim majesty to fright the world. Look not upon me, for thine eyes are wounding. Yet do not go away. Come, basilisk, and kill the innocent gazer with thy sight. For in the shade of death I shall find a joy. In life but double death, now Gloucester's dead. Why do you rate my lord of Suffolk thus? Although the Duke was enemy to him, yet he most Christian-like laments his death. And for myself, 
foe as he was to me, might liquid tears or heart-offending groans or blood-consuming sighs recall his life, I would be blind with weeping, sick with groans, look pale as primrose with blood-drinking sighs, and all to have the noble duke alive. What know I how the world may deem of me? For it is known we were but hollow friends. It may be judged I made the duke away. So shall my name with slander's tongue be wounded, and prince's courts be filled with my reproach. This get I by his death. Ah, me, unhappy. To be a queen and crowned with infamy. Ah, woe is me for Gloucester, wretched man. Be woe for me, more wretched than he is. What, dost thou turn away and hide thy face? I am no loathsome leper, look on me. What, art thou like the adder waxen deaf? Be poisonous too and kill thy forlorn queen. Is all thy comfort shut in Gloucester's tomb? Why, then, Dame Margaret was ne'er thy joy. Erect his statue and worship it, and make my image but an alehouse sign. Was I for this nigh wrecked upon the sea, and twice by awkward wind from England's bank drove back again into my native clime? What boded this? But well, forewarning wind, it seemed to say, seek not a scorpion's nest, nor set no footing on this unkind shore. What did I then but curse the, the gentle gusts that... And he that loosed them forth their brazen caves and bid them blow towards England's blessed shore or turn our stern upon a dreadful rock. Yet Aeolus would not be a murderer, but left that hateful office unto thee. The pretty vaulting sea refused to drown me, knowing that thou wouldst have me drowned on shore with tears and salt of sea through thy unkindness. The splitting rocks cowered in the stinking sands and would not dash me with their ragged sides because thy flinty heart, more hard than they, might in thy palace perish, Margaret. As far as I could ken the chalk cliffs, when from thy shore the tempest beat us back, I stood upon the hatches in the storm. And when the dusky sky began to rob my earnest, gaping sight of lands, thy land's view, I took a costly jewel from my neck, a heart it was, bounded with diamonds, and threw it towards thy land. The sea received it, and so I wished thy body might my heart. And even with this, I lost fair England's view and bid my eyes be packing with my heart and call them blind and dusky spectacles for losing ken of Albion's wished coast. How often have I tempted Suffolk's tongue, the agent of thy foul inconstancy, to sit and witch me as Ascanius did when he to madding Dido would unfold his father's acts, yeomanst in the burning Troy? Am I not witched like her, or thou not false like him? I mean, I can no more. Die, Margaret, for Henry weeps that thou dost live so long. Noise within. Enter Warwick, Salisbury, and many commons. It is reported, mighty sovereign, that good Duke Henry, Duke Humphrey, traitorously is murdered by Suffolk and the Cardinal Beaufort's means. The commons, like an angry hive of bees that want their leaders, scatter up and down and care not who they sting in his revenge. Myself have calmed their spleenful mutiny until they hear the order of his death. That he is dead, good Warwick, tis too true. But how he died, God knows, not Henry. Enter his chamber, view his breathless corpse, and common then upon his sudden death. That shall I do, my liege. Stay, Salisbury, with the rude multitude till I return. Exit. Oh, thou that judgest all things, stay my thoughts. My thoughts that labor to persuade my soul, some violent hands were laid on Humphrey's life. If my suspect be false, forgive me, God, for judgment only doth belong to thee. Fain would I go to chafe his paly lips with twenty thousand kisses, and to drain upon his face an ocean of salt tears. 
to tell my love unto his dumb, deaf trunk, and with my fingers feel his hand unfeeling. But all in vain are these mean obsequies, and to survey his dead and earthly image, what were it but to make my sorrow greater? Re-enter Warwick and others bearing Gloucester's body on a bed. Come hither, gracious sovereign, view this body. That is to see how deep my grave is made, for with his soul fled all my worldly solace, for seeing him I see my life in death. As surely as my soul intends to live with that dread king that took our state upon him to free us from his father's wrathful curse, I do believe that violent hands were laid upon the life of this thrice-famed duke. A dreadful oath, sworn with a solemn tongue. What instance gives Lord Warwick for his vow? See how the blood is settled in his face. Oft have I seen a timely parted ghost of ashy semblance, meager, pale, and bloodless, being all descended to the laboring heart, who in the conflict that it holds with death attracts the same for aidance against the enemy, with which the heart there cools and ne'er returneth to blush and beautify the cheek again. But see, his face is black and full of blood, his eyeballs further out than when he lived staring full ghastly like a strangled man, his hair upreared, his nostrils stretched with struggling, his hands abroad displayed as one that grasped and tugged for life and was by strength subdued. Look, on the sheets his hair you see is sticking, his well-proportioned beard made rough and rugged like to the summer's corn by Tempest Lodge. It cannot be but he was murdered here. The least of all these signs were probable. Why, Warwick? Who should do the duke to death? Myself and Beaufort had him in protection. And we, I hope, sir, are no murderers. But both of you were vowed Duke Humphrey's foes. And you, forsooth, had the good duke to keep. Tis like you would not feast him like a friend, and tis well seen he found an enemy. Then you, belike, suspect these noblemen as guilty of Duke Humphrey's timeless death. Who finds the heifer dead and bleeding fresh and sees fast by a butcher with an axe, but will suspect was he that made the slaughter? Who finds the partridge in the puttocks next, but may imagine how the bird was dead, although the kites soar with unbloody beak? Even so suspicious is this tragedy. Are you the butcher, Suffolk? Where's your knife? Is Beaufort turned a kite? Where are his talents? I wear no knife to slaughter sleeping men, but here's a vengeful sword rusted with ease that shall be scoured in his rancorous heart that slanders me with murder's crimson badge. Say if thou darest, proud lord of Warwickshire, that I am faulty in Duke Humphrey's death. Exent Cardinal Somerset and others. What dares not Warwick if false Suffolk dare him? He dares not calm his contumelious spirit, nor cease to be an arrogant controller, though Suffolk dare him twenty thousand times. Madam, be still! With reverence, may I say. For every word you speak in his behalf is slander to your royal dignity. Blunt-witted lord, ignoble in demeanor, 
If ever lady wronged her lord so much, thy mother took in her blameful bed some stern, untutored churl and noble stock was graft with crab-tree slip, whose fruit thou art, and never of the Neville's noble race. But that the guilt of murder bucklers thee, and I should rob the deathsman of his fee, quitting thee thereby of ten thousand shames, and... That my sovereign's presence makes me mild, I would, false murderous coward, on thy knee make thee beg pardon for thy past speech, and say it was thy mother that thou meanst, that thou thyself was born in bastardy, and after all this fearful homage done, give thee thy hire, and send thy soul to hell, pernicious bloodsucker of sleeping men. Thou shalt be waking well, I shed thy blood, if from this presence thou darest go with me. Away, even now, or I will drag thee hence. Unworthy though thou art, I'll cope with thee and do some service to Duke Humphrey's ghost. Exit Suffolk and Warwick. Stronger breastplate than a heart untainted. Thrice is he armed that hath his quarrel just, and he but naked, though locked up in steel, whose conscience with injustice is corrupted. A noise within. What noise is this? Re-enter Suffolk and Warwick with their weapons drawn. Why, how now, lords? Your wrathful weapons drawn here in our presence? Dare you be so bold? Why, what tumultuous clamor have we here? The traitorous Warwick with the men of Bury set all upon me, mighty sovereign. Sirs, stand apart. The king shall know your mind. Red lord, the commons send you word by me. Unless Lord Suffolk straight be done to death or banished fair England's territories, they will by violence tear him from your palace and torture him with grievous lingering death. They say, by him the good Duke Humphrey died. They say, in him they fear your highness's death and mere instinct of love and loyalty, free from a stubborn opposite intent as being thought to contradict your liking, makes them thus forward in his banishment. They say in care of your most royal person that if your highness should intend to sleep and charge that no man should disturb your rest in pain of your dislike or pain of death, yet notwithstanding such a straight edict were there a serpent seen with fork of tongue that slyly glided towards your majesty, it were but necessary you were waked lest being suffered in that harmful slumber the mortal worm might make thy sleep eternal. And therefore do they cry, though you forbid, that they will guard you, and whether you will or no, from such fell serpents as false Suffolk is, with whose envenomed and fatal sting your loving uncle, twenty times his worth, they say, is shamefully bereft of life. Answer from the king, my lord of Salisbury. Tis like the commons rude, unpolished times, could send such message to their sovereign. But you, my lord, were glad to be employed to show how quaint an orator you are. But all the honor Salisbury hath won is that he was the lord ambassador sent from a sort of tinkers to the king. An answer from the king, or we will all break in. Go, Salisbury, and tell them all from me. I thank them for their tender, loving care. And had I not been cited so by them, yet did I purpose, as they do, entreat. 
for sure, my thoughts do hourly prophesy mischance upon my state by Suffolk's means. And therefore, by his majesty I swear, whose far unworthy deputy I am, he shall not breathe infection in this air but three days longer on the pain of death. Exit Salisbury. Oh, Henry, let me plead for gentle Suffolk. Ungentle queen, to call him gentle Suffolk? No more, I say. If thou dost plead for him, thou wilt but add increase unto my wrath. Had I but said, I would have kept my word, but when I swear, it is irrevocable. If, after three days' space, thou beest here found on any ground that I am ruler of, the world shall not be ransom for thy life. Come, Warwick, come, good Warwick, go with me. I have great matters to impart to thee. Exempt all but Queen Margaret and Suffolk. Let's chance and sorrow go along with you. Heart's discontent and sour affliction be playfellows to keep you company. There's two of you, the devil make a third, and threefold vengeance tend upon your steps. Peace, gentle queen, these execrations. And let thy Suffolk take his heavy leave. Fie, coward woman and soft-hearted wretch! Hast thou not spirit to curse thine enemy? A plague upon them. Wherefore should I curse them? What curses kill as doth the mandrakes groan, I would invent as bitter searching terms, as cursed, as harsh, as horrible to hear, delivered strongly through my fixed teeth, with full as many signs of deadly hate as lean-faced envy in her loathsome cave. My tongue should stumble in mine earnest words, mine eyes should sparkle like the beaten flint, my hair should be fixed on end as one distract. I... Every joint should seem to curse and ban. And even now my earthened heart would break should I not curse them. Poison be their drink. Gall worse than gall, the daintiest that they taste. Their sweetest shade, a grove of cypress trees. Their chiefest prospect, murdering basilisks. Their softest touch, as smart as lizards sting. Their music frightful as the serpent's hiss, and boating screech owls make the concert full, all the foul terrors in dark-seated hell. And, oh. Enough, sweet Suffolk, thou torment thyself, and these dread curses, like the sun against glass, or like an overcharged gun, recoil, and turn the for- force of them upon thyself. You bade me ban, and you will bid me leave. Now by the ground that I am banished from, would could I curse away a winter's night, though standing naked on a mountain top, where biting cold would never let grass grow, and think it but a minute spent in sport. Oh, let me entreat thee cease. Give me thy hand, that I may dew it with my mournful tears, nor let the rain of heaven wet this place to wash away my woeful monuments. Oh, could this kiss be printed in thy hand? that thou mightst think upon these by the seal, through whom a thousand sighs are breathed for thee. So, get thee gone, that I may know my grief. Tis but surmised whilst thou art standing by, as one that surfeits thinking on a want. I will repeal thee, or be well assured, adventure to be banished myself, and banished I am, if but from thee. Go, speak not to me, even now be gone. Oh, go not yet! Even thus two friends condemned embrace and kiss and take ten thousand leaves, 
loather a hundred times to part than die. Yet now farewell, and farewell lies with thee. Thus is poor Suffolk ten times banished, once by the king and three times thrice by thee. Tis not the land I care for, were thou thence. Uh, wilderness is populous enough, so Suffolk had thy heavenly company. For where thou art, there is the world itself. With every several pleasure in the world, and where thou art not, desolation. I can no more live thou to joy thy life. Live thou to joy thy life, myself no joy in naught but that thou livest. Enter Vo. Whither goes Vo so fast? What news, I prithee? To signify unto his majesty that Cardinal Beaufort is at point of death. For suddenly a grievous sickness took him that makes him gasp and stare and catch the air, blaspheming God and cursing men on earth. Sometimes he talks as if Duke Humphrey's ghost were by his side. Sometimes he calls the king and whispers to his pillow, as to him, the secrets of his overcharged soul. And I am sent to tell his majesty that even now he cries aloud for him. Go tell this heavy message to the king. Exit Vo. Ay me, what is this world? What news are these? But wherefore grieve I at an hour's poor loss, omitting Suffolk's exile, my soul's treasure? Why, only Suffolk, mourn I, not, mourn I not for thee, and with the southern clouds contend in tears, theirs for the earth's increase, mine for my sorrows. Now get thee hence. The king, thou knowest, is coming. If thou be found by me, thou art but dead. If I depart from thee, I cannot live, and in thy sight to die, what were it else but like a pleasant slumber in thy lap? Here could I breathe my soul into the air, as mild and gentle as the cradle babe, dying where mother, mother's dug between its lips, where from thy sight I should be raging mad and cry out for thee to close up mine eyes, to have thee with thy lips to stop my mouth. So shouldst thou either turn my flying soul, or I should breathe it so into thy body that it, then it lived in sweet Elysium. To die by thee were but to die in jest. From thee to die were torture more than death. Oh, let me stay, befall what may befall away. Though parting be a fretful corrosive, it is applied to a deathful wound. To France, sweet Suffolk, let me hear from thee, for wheresoever thou art in this world's globe, I'll have an iris that shall find thee out. I go. And take my heart with thee. A jewel locked in the woefulest cask that ever did contain a thing of worth. Even as a splitted bark so sunder we, this way I fall to death. This way for me. Exit severally. Scene three, a bedchamber. Enter the king, Salisbury, Warwick, to the cardinal in bed. How fares, my lord? Speak, Beaufort, to thy sovereign. If thou beest death, I'll give thee England's treasure, enough to purchase such another island, so thou wilt let me live and feel no pain. Ah, what a sign it is of evil life, where death's approach is so is seen so terrible. Beaufort, it is thy sovereign speaks to thee. Bring me unto my trial when you will. 
died not, died he not in his bed? Where should he die? Can I make men live whether they will or no? <laughs> Torture me no more. I will confess. Alive again? Then show me where he is. I'll give a thousand pounds to look upon him. He hath no eyes. The dust hath blinded them. Comb down his hair. Look, look, it stands upright. Like lime twigs set to catch my winged soul. Give me some drink and bid the apothecary bring the strong poison that I bought of him. Oh, thou eternal mover of the heavens. Look with a gentle eye upon this wretch. Oh, beat away the busy meddling fiend that lays strong siege unto this wretch's soul. And from his bosom purge this black despair. See how the pangs of death do make him grin. Disturb him not. Let him pass peaceably. Peace to his soul, if God's good pleasure be. Lord Cardinal, if thou thinkst on heaven's bliss, hold up thy hand. Make signal of thy hope. He dies and makes no sign. Oh, God, forgive him. So bad a death argues a monstrous life. Forbear to judge, for we are sinners all. Close up his eyes and draw the curtains close, and let us all to meditation. Exent. Act 4, Scene 1, The Coast of Kent. Alarm. Fight at sea. Ordnance goes off. Enter Captain, a master, a master's mate, Walter Whitmore, and others. With them, Suffolk and others, prisoners. Sorry, I was very off. The gaudy, blubbering, and remorseful day has crept into the bosom of the sea. And now, loud, howling wolves around the jades that drag the tragic, melancholy night, who, with their drowsy, slow, and flagging wind, clip dead men's graves and from their misty jaws breathe foul contagions, darkness into the air. Therefore, bring forth the soldiers of our prize, for while our penance anchor in the downs, here shall they make their ransom on the sand or with their bloodstains this discolored shore. Master, this prisoner freely I give thee, and thou that art his mate make boot of this. The other, Walter Whitmore, is thy share. What is my ransom, master? Let me know. A thousand crowns, or else lay down your head. And so much shall you give, or off goes yours. What? Think you much to pay two thousand crowns and bear the name and port of gentlemen? Cut both the villain's throat, for die you shall. The lives of those which we have lost in fight be counterpoised with such a petty sum. I'll give it, sir, and therefore spare my life. And so will I, and write home for it straight. I lost mine eye in laying the prize abroad, and therefore to revenge it shalt thou die. And so should these, if I, ha- if I might have my will. Be not so rash. Take ransom. Let him live. 
Look on, my George. I am a gentleman. Rate me at what thou wilt, thou shall be paid. And so am I. My name is Walter Whitmore. How now? Why starts thou? What, doth thou, doth death affright? Thy name affrights me, in whose sound is death. Cunning man did calculate my birth and told me but by the water I should die. Yet let not this make thee be bloody-minded. Thy name is Gautier, being rightly sounded. Gautier or Walter, which it is I care not. Never yet did base dishonor blur our name, but with our sword we wiped away the blot. Therefore, when merchant like I sell revenge, broke be my sword and my arms torn and defaced, and I proclaimed a coward throughout the world. Stay, Whitmore, for thy prisoner is a prince, the Duke of Suffolk, William de la Pole. The Duke of Suffolk muffled up in rags. Aye, but these rags are no part of the Duke. Jove sometimes went disguised, and why not I? But Jove was never slain, as thou shalt be. Obscure and lowly swain. King Henry's blood, the honorable blood of Lancaster, must not be shed by such a jaded groom. Hast thou not, hast thou not kissed thy hand and held my stirrup? Bareheaded, plodded by my footcloth mule, and thought thee happy when I shook my head. How often hast thou uh, waited at my cup, fed from my trencher, kneeled down at the board when I have feasted with Queen Margaret? Remember it, and let it make thee crestfallen. I and allay this thy abortive pride, how in our voiding lobby hast thou sound and duly waited for my coming forth. This hand of mine hath writ in thy behalf, and therefore shall it charm thy riotous tongue. Speak, Captain, shall I stab the forlorn swain? First let my words stab him, as he hath me. Face slave, thy words are blunt, and so art thou. Convey him hence, and on our longboat's side strike off his head. Thou darest not for thy own. Yes, pull. Pull! Pull, sir, sir, pull, lord, I kennel puddle sink, whose filth and dirt troubles the silver spring where England drinks. Now will I dam up thy yawning mouth for swallowing the treasure of the realm. Thy lips that kiss the queen shall sweep the ground. And thou that smilest at good Duke Humphrey's death against the senseless wind shall grin in vain, who in contempt shall hiss at thee again. And wedded be thou to the hags of hell, for daring to athe a mighty lord unto the daughter of a worthless king. Having neither subject, wealth, nor diadem, by devilish policy art thou grown great, and like ambitious Scylla, overgorged with goblets of thy mother's bleeding heart, by the Anjou and Maine were sold to France. The false revolting Normans through thee disdain to call us lord, and Picardy hath slain their governors, surprised our force, and sent ragged soldiers wounded home. The princely Warwick and Neville's all, whose dreadful swords were never drawn in vain as halting thee, are rising in arms. And now, the house of York, thrust from the crown by shameful murder of a guiltless king and lofty proud encroaching tyranny, burns with revenging fire whose hopeful colors advance our half-faced sun, striving to shine under which is writ Invitus Nubius. 
The commons here in Kent are up in arms, and to conclude, reproach and beggary is crept into the palace of our king. And all by thee. Away, convey him hence. Oh, that I were a god to shoot forth thunder upon these paltry, servile, abject drudges. Small things make base men proud. And this villain here, being captain of a penance, threatens more than Bargalus, the strong Illyrian pirate. Drones suck not eagles' blood, but rob beehives. It is impossible that I should die by such a lowly vassal as thyself. Thy words move rage, not remorse in me. I go of message from the queen to France. I charge thee, waft me safely across the channel. Walter. Come, Suffolk, I must waft thee to thy death. Gelatus timor occupat artis. It is thee, I fear. Thou shalt have cause to fear before I leave thee. What are ye daunted now? Will ye stoop? My gracious lord, entreat him. Speak him fair. Suffolk's imperial tongue is stern and rough. Used to command untaught to plead for favor. For be it we should honor such as these with humble suit. No, rather let my head stoop to the block then. These knees bow to any save to the God of heaven and my king, and sooner dance upon a bloody pole than stand uncovered to the vulgar groom. True nobility is exempt from fear. More can I bear than you dare execute. Hail him away and let him talk no more. Come, soldiers, show what cruelty ye can, that this my death may never be forgot. Great men often die by vile Bizonians, a Roman sworder and bendito slave, murdered sweet Tully. Brutus' bastard hand stabbed Julius Caesar. Savage islanders Pompey the Great and Suffolk dies by pirates. Exunt Whitmore and others with Suffolk. And as for these whose ransom we have set, it is our pleasure one of them depart. Therefore, Come you with us and let him go. Exunt all but the first gentleman. Re-enter Whitmore with Suffolk's body. There let his head and lifeless body lie until his queen, his mistress, bury it. Exit. Barbarous and bloody spectacle. His body will I bear unto the king. If he revenge it not, yet will his friends. So will the queen that living held him dear. Exit with the body. Scene two, Blackheath, enter George Bevis and John Holland. Come, and get thee a sword, thou maid of Alath. Thou have been up these two days. They have more need to sleep now, then. I tell thee, and Jack Cade the clothier means to dress the commonwealth and turn it, and set a new nap upon it. So he had need for tis threadbare. Well, I say it was never a merry world in England since gentlemen came up. Oh, miserable age. Virtue is not regarded in handicraftsmen. The nobility thinks scorn to go in leather aprons. Nay, more. The king's council are no good workmen. True. And yet it is said, labor in thy vocation. Which is as much to say as, let the magistrates be laboring men, and therefore should we be magistrates? Thou hast hit it. 
For there's no better sign of a brave mind than a hard hand. I see them. I see them. There's best son, the tanner of Wingham. He shall have the skin of our enemies to make dogs leather of. And Dick the butcher. Then is sin struck down like an ox, and and iniquity's throat cut like a calf. And Smith the weaver. Argo, the thread of life is spun. Come, come, let's fall in with them. Drum, enter Cade, Dick, the butcher, Smith, the weaver, and a sawyer with infinite numbers. We, John Cade, so termed of our supposed father. Or rather of stealing a Cade of herrings. For our enemies shall fall before us, inspired with the spirit of putting down kings and princes. Uh, Command silence. Silence. My father was a Mortimer. He was an honest man and a good bricklayer. My mother, a Plantagenet. I knew her well. She was a midwife. My wife descended of the Laces. She was indeed a peddler's daughter and sold many laces. But now of late, notable to travel with her furred pack, she washes bucks here at home. Therefore am I of an honorable house. I, by my faith, the field is honorable, and there was he born under a hedge, for his father never uh, had never a house but the cage. Valiant I am. A needs must, for beggary is valiant. I am able to endure much. No question of that, for I've seen him whipped three market days together. I fear neither sword nor fire. He need not fear the sword, for his coat is a proof. But methinks he should stand in fear of fire, being burnt in the hand for stealing of sheep. Be brave, then, for your captain is brave, and vows reformation. There shall be in England seven halfpenny loaves sold for a penny. The three-hooped pot shall have ten hoops, and I will make it felony to drink small beer. All the realm shall be in common. And in Cheapside, shall my palfrey go to grass. And when I am king, as king, I will be... God save your majesty! I thank you, good people. There shall be no money. All shall eat and drink on my score. And I will apparel them all in one livery, that they may agree like brothers and worship me, their lord. The first thing we do, let's kill all the lawyers. Nay, that I mean to do. Is not this a lamentable thing? That of the skin of an innocent lamb should be made parchment. That parchment being scribbled over should undo a man. Some say the bee stings, but I say it is the bee's wax. For I did but seal once to a thing, and I was never mine own man since. How now, who's there? And your son bringing forward the clerk of Chatham. The clerk of Chatham, he can read and write and cast a compt. Oh, monstrous! We took him setting of the boy's copies. Here's a villain. Has a book in his pocket with red letters in it. Oh, nay, then he is a conjurer. Nay, he can make obligations and write courthand. I am sorry for it. The man is a proper man. Of mine honor, unless I find him guilty, he shall not die. 
Come hither, Sirrah, I must examine thee. What is thy name? Emmanuel. They used to write it on the top of the letters. T'will go hard with you. Tis let me alone. Uh, dost thou use to write thy name, or hast thou a mark to thyself, like an honest, plain-dealing man? Sir, I thank God I have been so well brought up that I can write my name. He hath confessed away with him. He's a villain and a traitor. Go. Away with him, I say. Hang him with his pen and inkhorn about his neck. Exit one with the clerk. Enter Michael. Where's our general? Here I am, thou particular fellow. Fly, fly, fly. Sir Humphrey Stafford and his brother are hard by with the king's forces. Stand, villain, stand, or I'll fell thee down. He shall be encountered with a man as good as himself. He is but a knight, is that? No. To equal him, I will make myself a knight presently. Niels. Rise up, Sir John Mortimer. Rises. Now, have at him. Enter Sir Humphrey and William Stafford with drum and soldiers. Rebellious hinds, the filth and scum of Kent, marked for the gallows, lay your weapons down. Home to your cottages, forsake this groom. The king is merciful if you revolt. But angry, wrathful, and inclined to blood if you go forward. Therefore, yield or die. As for these silken-coated slaves, I pass not. It is to you, good people, that I speak, over whom in time to come I hope to reign, for I am rightful heir unto the crown. Villain, thy father was a plasterer, and thou thyself a shearman, are thou not? And Adam was a gardener. And what of that? Mary, this. Edmund Mortimer, Earl of March, married the Duke of Clarence's daughter, did he not? Aye, sir. By her, he had two children at one birth. That's false. Aye, there's the question. But I say it is true. The elder of them, being put to nurse, was by a beggar woman stolen away, and ignorant of his birth and parentage, became a bricklayer when he came to age. His son am I. Deny it if you can. Nay, tis too true. Therefore he shall be king. Sir, he made a chimney in my father's house, and the bricks are alive at this day to testify it. Therefore deny it not. Will you credit this base drudge's words that speaks he knows not what? Aye. Aye, Mary, we will. Therefore Therefore, he shall. Jack Cade, the Duke of York hath taught you this. He lies, for I invented it myself. Go to, Sirrah, tell the king from me that for his father's sake, Henry V, in whose time boys went to span counter for French crowns, I am content he shall reign, but I'll be protector over him. And furthermore, well have the Lord Say's head for selling the dukedom of Maine. And good reason, for thereby is England maimed and fain to go with a staff, but that my puissance holds it up. Fellow kings, I tell you that the Lord's say hath gilded the commonwealth and made it a eunuch. And more than that, he can speak French, and therefore he is a traitor. 
Oh, gross and miserable ignorance. Nay, answer if you can. The Frenchmen are our enemies. Go to then. I ask but this. Can he speak? Can he that speaks with the tongue of an enemy be a good counselor or no? No, no. And therefore, well, seeing gentle words will not prevail, assail, assail them with the army of the king. Herald, away, and throughout every town procl proclaim them traitors that are up with Cade, that those which fly before the battle ends may even in their wives and children's sight be hanged up for example at their doors. And you that be the king's friends, follow me. Exund William Stafford and Sir Humphrey and soldiers. And you that love the commons, follow me. Now shall yourselves, men, it is for liberty. We will not leave one lord, one gentleman. Spare none but such as go and clouted shoon, for they are thrifty, honest men, and such as would, but that they dare not take our parts. They are all in order and march toward us. But then are we in order when we are most out of order? Come, march forward! Exit. Scene three, another part of Blackheath. Alarms to the fight, wherein Sir Humphrey and William Stafford are slain, and Turcade and the rest. Where's Dick, the butcher of Ashford? Here, sir. They fell before thee like sheep and oxen, and thou behavest thyself as if thou hadst been in thine own slaughterhouse. Therefore, thus will I reward thee. The length shall be as long again as it is, and thou shalt have a license to kill for a hundred lacking one. I desire no more. And to speak truth, thou deservest no less. This monument of the victory will I bear. Putting on Sir Humphrey's brigadine. And the bodies shall be dragged at my horse's heels till I do come to London, where we will have the mayor's sword borne before us. If we mean to thrive and do good, break open the jails and let out the prisoners. Fear not. Fear not that. I warrant thee. Come, let's march towards London. Exit. Scene four, London, the palace. Enter King Henry VI with a supplication and the queen with Suffolk's head. Buckingham and Lord Say. Oft have I heard that grief softens the mind and makes it fearful and degenerate. Think, therefore, on revenge, and cease to weep. But who can cease to weep and look on this? Here may his head lie on my own throbbing breast, but where's the body I should embrace? What answer makes your grace to the rebels' supplication? Well, send some holy bishop to entreat. For God forbid so many simple souls should perish by the sword, and I myself... Rather than bloody war shall cut them short, will parley with Jack Cade, their general. But stay, I'll read it over once again. <laughs> Barbarous villains! Hath this lovely face ruled like a wandering planet over me? And could it not enforce them to relent that were unworthy to behold the same? Lord, say, Jack Cade hath sworn to have thy head. Aye, but I hope your highness shall have his. How now, madam? still lamenting and mourning for Suffolk's death. I fear me, love, if that I had been dead, thou wouldst not have mourned so much for me. No, my love, I should not mourn, but die for thee. Enter a messenger. How now? What news? Why comest thou in such haste? 
the rebels are in Southwark. Fly. Oh. Fly, my lord. Brief technical difficulty. The rebels are in Southwark. Fly, my lord. Jack Cade proclaims himself Lord Mortimer, descended from the Duke of Clarence's house, and calls your grace usurper openly, and vows to crown himself in Westminster. His army is a ragged multitude of hinds and peasants, rude and merciless. Sir Humphrey Stafford and his brother's death have given them heart and courage to proceed. All scholars, lawyers, courtiers, gentlemen, they call false caterpillars and intend their death. Oh, graceless men, they know not what they do. My gracious lord, return to Killingworth until a power be raised to put them down. Uh, with the Duke of Suffolk now alive, these Kentish rebels would have been soon appeased. Lord say, the traitors hate thee, therefore away with us to Killingworth. So might your grace's person be in danger. The sight of me is odious in their eyes, and therefore in this city will I stay and live alone as secret as I may. Enter a totally different messenger. Jack Cade hath gotten London Bridge. The citizens fly and forsake their houses. The rascal people thirsting after prey join with the traitor, and they jointly swear to spoil the city and your royal... Then, then linger not, my lord. Away, take horse. Come, Margaret. God, our hope will succor us. My hope is gone. Now Suffolk is deceased. Farewell, my lord. Trust not the Kentish rebels. Trust nobody, for fear you'd be betrayed. The trust I have is in mine innocence, and therefore am I bold and resolute. Exit. Scene five, London the tower, enter scales upon the tower, walking, then enter two or three citizens below. How now? Is Jack Cade slain? No, my lord, nor likely to be slain, for they have won the bridge, killing all those that withstand them. The Lord Mayor craves aid of your honor from the tower to defend the city from the rebels. Ah, such aid as I can spare you shall command. But I am troubled here with them myself. The rebels have essayed to win the tower. But get you to Smithfield and gather head, and thither I will send you Matthew Goff. Fight for your king, your country, and your lives, and so farewell, for I must hence again. Exit. Scene six, London, Cannon Street. Enter Cade and the rest and strikes his staff on London Stone. Now is Mortimer lord of this city. And here, sitting upon London Stone, I charge and command that of the city's cost, the pissing conduit, run nothing but claret wine this first year of our reign. And now, henceforward, it shall be treason for any that calls me other than Lord Mortimer. Enter a soldier running. Jack Cade, Jack Cade. Knock him down there. Kill him. If this fellow be wise, he'll never call you Jack Cade more. I think he hath a very fair warning. My lord, there's an army gathered together in Smithfield. 
Come then, let's go fight with them. But first, go and set London Bridge on fire. And if you can, burn down the tower too. Come, let's away. Exunt. Scene 7, London Smithfield, alarms. Matthew Goff is slain and all the rest, then enter Cade with his company. So, sirs, now go some and pull down the Savoy. Others to the inns of court. Down with them all. I have a suit under your lordship. Be it a lordship, thou shalt have it for that word. Only that the laws of England may come out of your mouth. Best will be sore law then. For he was thrust in the mouth with a spear, and tis not whole yet. Nay, John, it will be sticking law, for his breath stinks with eating toasted cheese. Mm, toasted cheese. I have thought upon it. It shall be so. Away! Burn all the records of the realm. My mouth shall be the Parliament of England. Then we are like to have biting statutes unless his teeth be pulled out. And henceforward, all things shall be in common. Enter a totally new messenger. My lord, a prize, a prize! Here's the lord say, which sold the towns in France. He that made us pay one and twenty fifteens and one shilling to the pound, the last subsidy. Enter Bevis and lord say. Well, he shall be beheaded for it ten times. Ah, thou say, thou surge, nay, thou buckram lord, now art thou within point blank of our jurisdiction regal. What canst thou answer to my majesty for giving up of Normandy unto Monsieur Bamiscu, the Dauphin of France? Be it known unto thee these presence, even the presence of Lord Mortimer, that I am the besom that must sweep the court clean of such filth as thou art. Thou hast most traitorously corrupted the youth of the realm in erecting a grammar school. And whereas before our forefathers had no other books but the score and the tally, thou hast caused printing to be used. And contrary to the king, his crown and dignity, thou hast built a paper mill. It will be proved to thy face that thou hast men about thee that usually talk of a noun, a verb, and such a Abominable words as no Christian ear can endure to hear. Thou hast appointed justices of peace to call poor men before them about matters they were not able to answer. Moreover, thou hast put them in prison, and because they could not read, thou hast hanged them. And indeed, only for that cause they have been most worthy to live. Thou dost ride in a footcloth, dost thou not? What of that? Mary, that oughtest not to let my horse wear a cloak, when honester men than thou go in their hose and doublets. And work in their shirt, too, as I myself, for example, that I am a butcher. You men of Kent. What say you of Kent? Nothing but this. Tis Bonaterra maledgens. Now away with him, away with him, he speaks Latin. Hear me but speak, and bear me where you will. Kent, in the commentary Caesar writ, is termed the civilest place of this isle. Sweet is the country, because full of riches. The people liberal, valiant, active, wealthy. Which makes me hope you are not void of pity. I sold not Maine, I lost not Normandy. Yet to recover them would lose my life. 
Justice with favor have I always done. Prayers and tears have moved me, gifts could never. When have I aught exacted at your hands but to maintain the king, the realm, and you? Large gifts have I bestowed on learned clerks, because my book preferred me to the king. And seeing ignorance is the curse of God, knowledge the wing wherewith we fly to heaven. Unless you be possessed with devilish spirits, you cannot but forbear to murder me. This tongue hath parlayed unto foreign kings for your behoof. But when struckest thou one blow in the field? Great men have reaching hands. Oft have I struck those that I never saw and struck them dead. Oh, monstrous coward, what to come behind, folks? These cheeks are pale for watching for your good. Give him a box of the air and that will make him red again. Long sitting to determine poor men's causes hath made me full of sickness and disease. You shall have a hempen caudle then, and the help of hatchets. Why dost thou quiver, man? The palsy and not fear provokes me. Nay, he nods at us, as who would say, I'll be even with you. I'll see if his head will stand steadier on a pole, or no. Take him away and behead him. Tell me wherein have I offended most? Have I affected wealth or honor? Speak. Are my chests filled up with exhorted gold? Is my apparel sumptuous to behold? Whom have I injured that ye seek my death? These hands are free from guiltless bloodshedding, this breast from harboring foul, deceitful thoughts. Oh, let me live. I feel remorse on myself with his words, but I'll bridle it. He shall die, and it be but for pleading so well for his life. Away with him! He has a familiar under his tongue. He speaks not a God's name. Go take him away, I say, and strike off his head presently, and then break into his son-in-law's house, Sir James Cromer, and strike off his head, and bring them both upon two poles hither. It shall be done. Ah, countrymen, if when you make your prayers, God should be so obdurate as yourselves, how would it fare with your departed souls? And therefore yet relent and save my life. Away with him and do as I command ye. Exunt some with Lord Say. Men hold of me in cache, and we charge and command that their wives be as free as heart can wish or tongue can. My tell. lord, when will sh- we? Sh- when shall we go to Cheapside and take up commodities upon our bills? Mary, presently. Oh, Re-enter one with the heads. But is this? But is not this braver? Let them kiss one another. For they loved well when they were alive. Now, part them again, lest they consult about the giving up of some more towns in France. Soldiers, defer the spoil of the city until night. For with these born before us, instead of maces, we will ride through the streets. And at every corner, have them kiss. <laughs> Away! Exunt. 
Scene eight, Southwark. Alarm and retreat enter Cade and all his rabblement. Up the street, down St. Magnus Corner, kill and knock down, throw them into the Thames. Sound of parley. Oh, what noise is this I hear? Dare anything so bold to sound repeat or parley when I command them to kill? Enter Buckingham and Clifford attended. I <clears throat> he there he, here they be that dare and will disturb thee. No, Cade. We come from we come ambassadors from the king unto the commons whom thou hast misled. And here pronounce free pardon to them all that will forsake thee and go home in peace. What say ye, countrymen? Will ye relent and yield to mercy whilst tis offered you? Or let a rebel lead you to your deaths? Who loves the king and will embrace his pardon, fling up his cap and say, God save his majesty? Who hateth him and honors not his father, Henry V, that made all France to quake, shake he his weapon at us and pass by? God save the king! God save the king! What? Buckingham and Clifford, are ye so brave? And you, base peasants, do ye believe him? Will ye needs be hanged with your pardons about your necks? Hath my sword therefore broke through London gates that you should leave me at the White Hart and Southwark? I thought ye would never have given out these arms till you had recovered your ancient freedom. But you are all recreants and dastards and delight to live in slavery to the nobility. Let them break your backs with burdens. Take your houses over your heads, ravish your wives and daughters before your faces. For me, I will make shift for one, and so God's curse light upon you all. We'll follow Cade. We'll follow Cade. Is Cade the son of Henry V that thus you do exclaim you'll go with him? Will he conduct you through the heart of France and make the meanest of you earls and dukes? Alas, he hath no home, no place to fly to, nor knows he how to live but by the spoil, unless by robbing of your friends and us. Were it not a shame that whilst you live at Jar, the fearful French, whom you late vanquish, should make a start or seize and vanquish you? Methinks already in this civil broil I see them lording it in London streets, crying, Villaggio, unto all they meet. Better ten thousand base-born cades miscarry than you should stoop unto a Frenchman's mercy. To France, to France, and get what you have lost. Spare England, for it is your native coast. Henry hath money. You are strong and manly. God on our side, doubt not of victory. A Clifford, a Clifford. We'll uh, follow the king and Clifford. Was ever a feather so lightly blown to and fro as this multitude? The name of Henry V hails them to a hundred mistress and makes them leave me desolate. I see them lay their heads together to surprise me. My sword make way for me, for here is no staying. In despite of the devils in hell, have thou the very middest of you, and heavens and honor be witness, that no want of resolution in me, but only my followers base and ignominious treasons make me to betake me to my heels. Exit. What? Is, is he fled? Go, some, and follow him. And he that brings his head unto the king shall have a thousand crowns for his reward. Exit some of them. Follow me, soldiers. We'll devise a mean to reconcile you all unto the king. 
Exit. Scene nine, Kenilworth Castle. Sound trumpets entered King Henry VI, Queen Margaret, and Somerset on the terrace. Was ever king that joyed an earthly throne and could command no more content than I? No sooner was I crept out of my cradle, but I was made a king at nine months old. Was never subject long to be a king as I do long and wish to be a subject. Enter Buckingham and Clifford. Health and glad tidings to your majesty. Why, Buckingham, is the traitor Kate surprised? Or is he but retired to make him strong? Enter below. Oh. (laughs) Enter below multitudes with halters about their necks. He's fled, my lord, and all his powers do yield. And humbly thus, with halters on their necks, expect your highness doom of life or death. Then, heaven... Set ope thy everlasting gates to entertain my vows of thanks and praise. Soldiers, this day have you redeemed your lives and showed how well you love your prince and country. Continue still in this so good a mind. And Henry, though he be unfortunate, assure yourselves will never be unkind. And so, with thanks and pardon to you all, I do dismiss you to your several countries. God save the king! God save the king! Enter a messenger. Please it your grace to be advertised. The Duke of York is newly come from Ireland, and with a puissant and a mighty power of gallow glasses and stout kerns in marching hitherward in proud array, and still proclaimeth as he comes along, his arms are only to remove from thee the Duke of Somerset, whom he terms traitor. Thus stands my state, twixt Cade and York distressed, like to a ship that, having scaped a tempest, is straightway calmed and boarded with a pirate. But now is Cade driven back, his men dispersed, and now is York in arms to second him. I pray thee, Buckingham, go and meet him, and ask him what's the reason of these arms. Tell him I'll send Duke Edmund to the tower and Somerset will commit thee thither until his army be dismissed from him. My lord, I'll yield myself to prison willingly, or unto death to do my country good. In any case, be not too rough in terms, for he is fierce and cannot brook hard language. I will, my lord, and doubt not so to deal as all things shall redound unto your good. Come, wife, let's in and learn to govern better. For yet my England curse my wretched reign. Flourish, exint. Scene 10, Kent, Iden's Garden. Enter Cade. Fie on ambition. Fie on myself. That have a sword, and yet I'm ready to famish. These five days have I hid me in these woods and durst not peep out, for all the country is laid for me. And now I'm so hungry that if... I might have a lease of my life for a thousand years. I could stay no longer. Wherefore, on a brick wall have I climbed into this garden to see if I can eat grass or pick a salad another while, which was not amiss to cool a man's stomach this hot weather. And I think this word, salad, was born to do me good for many a time. But for a salad, my brain pan had been cleft with a brown bill. And many a time when I have been dry and bravely marching, it had served me instead of a quart pot to drink in. Now the word salad must serve me to feed on. 
Enter Aiden. Lord, who would live turmoiled in the court and may enjoy such quiet walks as these, the small inheritance my father left me contenteth me, and worth a monarchy. I seek not to wax great by others waning, or gather wealth, I care not. With what envy hmm, sufficeth that I have maintained my state, and sends the poor well pleased from my gate. Oh, here's the lord of the soil come to seize me for a stray, for entering his fee simple without leave. Ah, villain, thou wilt betray me, and get a thousand crowns of the king carrying my head to him. But I'll make thee eat iron like an ostrich, and swallow my sword like a great pin, ere thou and I part. Why, rude companion, whatsoe'er thou be, I know thee not. Why, then, should I betray thee? It's not enough to break into my garden, and like a thief to come rot to rob my grounds, climbing my walls in spite of me, the owner, but thou wilt brave me with these saucy terms? Brave thee? I buy the best blood that ever was broached, and beard thee too. Look on me well, I have eat no meat these five days, yet come thou and thy five men, and if I do not leave you all as dead as a doornail, I pray God I may never eat grass more. Nay, it shall ne'er be said while England stands that Alexander Iden, an esquire of Kent, took odds to combat a poor famished man. Oppose thy steadfast gazing eyes to mine. See if thou canst outface me with thy looks. Set limb to limb, and thou art far the lesser. Thy hand is but a finger to my fist. Thy leg a stick compared with this truncheon. My foot shall fight with all the strength thou hast. And if mine arm be heaved in the air, thy grave is digged already in the earth. As for words, whose greatness answers words, let this my sword report what speech forbears. By <laughs> my valor, the most complete champion that ever I heard. Steal, if thou turn the edge, or cut not out the burly bone clown and chines of beef, ere thou sleep in thy sheath, I beseech God on my knees, thou mayst be turned to hobnails. Here they fight, Cade falls. I, oh, I am slain. Famine and no other hath slain me. Let ten thousand devils come against me, and give me but the ten meals I have lost, and I'll defy them all. Wither garden and be henceforth a burying place to all that do dwell in this house, because the unconquered soul of Cade is fled. Is it Cade that I have slain? The monstrous traitor? Sword, I will hollow thee for this thy deed, and hang thee o'er my tomb when I am dead. Ne'er shall this blood be wiped from thy point, but thou shalt wear it as a herald's coat to emblaze the honor that thy master got. Aiden, farewell, and be proud of thy victory. Tell Kent from me she hath lost her best man, and exhort all the world to be cowards. For I that never feared Emmy, any, am vanquished by famine, not by valor. Thus. How much thou wrongst me, heaven be my judge. Die, damned wretch, the curse of her that bare thee. And as I thrust thy body in with my sword, so wish I, I might thrust thy soul to hell. Hence will I drag thee headlong by the heels unto a dunghill which shall be thy grave, and there cut off thy most ungracious head, which I will bear in triumph to the king, leaving thy trunk for cows to feed upon. Exit. Crows. <laughs> Very different. 
Act five, scene one, fields between Dartford and Blackheath. Enter York and his army of Irish with drum and colors. From Ireland thus comes York to claim his right and pluck the crown from feeble Henry's head. Ring bells aloud, burn bonfires clear and bright to entertain great England's lawful king. Ah, Sancta Majesta, who would not buy thee, dear? Let them obey that know not how to rule. This hand was made to handle naught but gold. I cannot give due action to my words except a sword or scepter balance it. A scepter shalt have, have I a soul, on which I'll toss the flower de luce of France. Enter Buckingham. Whom have we here? Buckingham, to disturb me. The king has sent him. Sure, I must assemble. Hark. Thou meanest well, I greet thee well. Humphrey of Buckingham, I accept thy greeting. Art thou a messenger or come of pleasure? A messenger from Henry, our dread liege, to know the reason of these arms in peace, or why thou, being a subject as I am, against thy oath and true allegiance sworn, should raise so great a power without his leave, or dare to bring thy force so near the court. Scarce can I speak, my collar is so great, oh, I could hew up rocks and fight with flint. I am so angry at these abject terms, and now, like Ajax Telemannus, on sheep or oxen could I spend my fury. I am far better born than is the king, more like a king, more kingly in my thoughts. But I must make fair weather yet a while, till Henry be more weak and I more strong. Buckingham, I prithee pardon me that I have given no answer all this while my mind was troubled with deep melancholy. The cause why I have brought this army hither is to remove proud Somerset from the king, uh, uh to his grace and, and to the state. That is too much presumption on thy part. But if thy arms be to no other end, the king hath yielded unto thy demand. The Duke of Somerset is in the tower. Upon thine honor is he prisoner? Upon mine honor he is prisoner. Then, Buckingham, I do dismiss my powers. Soldiers, I thank you all. Disperse yourselves. Meet me tomorrow in St. George's Field. You shall have pay and everything you wish. And let my sovereign, virtuous Henry, command my eldest son, nay, all my sons as pledges of my fealty and love. I'll send them all as willingly as I live. Lands, goods, horse, armor, anything I have is his to use, so Somerset may die. York commend this kind submission. We twain will go into his highness's tent. Enter King Henry the Sixth and attendants. Buckingham, doth York intend to harm to us, that thus he marcheth with thee arm and arm? In all submission and humility, York doth present himself unto your highness. Then what intends these forces thou dost bring? To heave the traitor Somerset from hence. And, fly, and fight against that monstrous rebel Cade, who since I heard to be discomfited. Enter Iden with Cade's head. One so rude and of so mean condition may pass into the presence of a king. Lo, I present your grace a traitor's head, the head of Cade, whom I in combat slew. The head of Cade? Great God, how just art thou! Oh, let me view his visage. Being dead, that living robbed me such exceeding trouble. Tell me, my friend, art thou the man that slew him? I was, and like your majesty. How art thou called, and what is thy degree? 
Alexander Iden, that's my name, a poor esquire of Kent that loves his king. Mm, so please eat you, my lord. T'were not amiss, he were created knight for his good service. Iden, kneel down. Rise up, a knight. We give thee for reward a thousand marks, and will that thou henceforth attend on us. May Iden live to merit such a bounty, and never live but true unto his liege. Enter Queen Margaret in Somerset. See, Buckingham, Somerset comes with the queen. Go, bid her hide him quickly from the duke. For a thousand Yorks he shall not hide his head, but boldly stand and front him to his face. How now? Is Somerset at liberty? Then, York, unloose thy long imprisoned thoughts, and let thy tongue be equal with thy heart. Shall I endure the sight of Somerset, false king? Why hast thou broken faith with me, knowing how hardly I could brook abuse? King, did I call thee? No, thou art not king, not fit to govern and rule multitudes, which darest not know, nor canst not rule a traitor. That head of thine doth not become a crown. Thy hand is made to grasp a palmer's staff, and not to grace an awful princely scepter. That gold must re- most round inert these brows of mine, whose smile and frown like Achilles' spear is able with change to kill and cure. Here is the hand to hold the scepter up, and with the same to act controlling laws. Give place by heaven. Thou shalt rule no more o'er him whom heaven created for thy ruler. Oh, monstrous traitor, I arrest thee, York, of capital treason against the king and crown. Obey, audacious traitor. Kneel for grace. Wouldst have me kneel? First, let me ask of these if they can brook I bow to a knee to, a, to man. Sirrah, call in my sons to be my bail. Exit attendant. I know, ere they will have me go to ward, they'll pawn their swords for my enfranchisement. Call hither Clifford, bid him come amain, to say if that the bastard boys of York shall be the surety for their traitor father. Exit Buckingham. Oh, blood be spotted, Neapolitan, outcast of Naples, England's bloody scourge. The sons of York, thy betters in their birth, shall be the, their father's bail and bane to those that for my surety will refuse the boys. See, where they come, I'll warrant they'll make it good. Uh, enter Edward and Richard, enter Clifford and young Clifford. And here comes Clifford to deny their bail. Health and all happiness to my lord the king. Kneels. I thank thee, Clifford. Say, what news with thee? Nay, do not fright us with an angry look. We are thy sovereign, Clifford. Kneel again, for thy, mist- for thy mistaking so. We pardon thee. This is my king, York. I do not mistake. But thou mistakest me much to think I do. To bedlam with him. Is the man grown mad? Aye, Clifford. A bedlam and ambitious humor makes him oppose himself against his king. He is a traitor. Let him to the tower and chop away that factious pate of his. He is arrested but will not obey. His sons, he says, shall give their words for him. Will you not, sons? I, noble father, if our words will serve. Our words will not. Then our weapons shall. 
Why, what a brood of traitors have we here. Look in a glass and call thy image so. I am thy king, and thou a false-hearted heart traitor. Call hither to the stake my two brave bears, that with the very shaking of their chains they may astonish these fell lurking curs. Bid Salisbury and Warwick come to me. Enter Warwick and Salisbury. Are these thy bears? We'll bait thy bears to death, and manacle the bear ward in their chains, if thou darest bring them to the baiting place. (laughs) Oft have I seen a hot, overweening cur run back and bite, because he was withheld, who being suffered with the bear's fell paw, hath clapped his tail between his legs and cried. And such a piece of service will you do, if you oppose yourselves to match Lord Warwick. Hence, heap of wrath, foul, indigested lump, as crooked in thy manners as thy shape. Nay, we shall heat you thoroughly anon. Take heed, lest by your heat you burn yourselves. Why, Warwick, hath I me forgot to bow? Old Salisbury, shame to thy silver hair, thou mad misleader of thy brain-sick son. What, Wilt thou on thy deathbed play the ruffian and seek for sorrow with thy spectacles? Oh, where is faith? Oh, where is loyalty? If it be banished from the frosty head, where shall it find a harbor in the the earth? Wilt thou go dig a grave to find out war and shame thine honorable age with blood? Why art thou old and wantst experience? Or where thou dost abuse it if thou hast it? For shame! In duty bend thy knee to me that bows unto the grave with mickle age. My lord, I have considered with myself the title of this most renowned duke, and in my conscience do repute his grace the rightful heir to England's royal seat. Hast thou not sworn allegiance unto me? I have. Or canst thou dispense with heaven for such an oath? It is great sin to swear unto a sin but greater sin to keep a sinful oath. Who can be bound by any solemn vow to do a murderous deed, to rob a man, to force a spotless virgin's chastity, to reave the orphan of his patrimony, to wring the widow from her customed right, and have no other reason for this wrong but that he was bound by a solemn oath? A subtle traitor needs no sophister. Call Buckingham and bid him arm himself. Call Buckingham and all the friends thou hast. I am resolved for death or dignity. The first I warrant thee, if dreams prove true. You were best to go to bed and dream again, to keep thee from the tempest, the field. I am resolved to bear a greater storm than any thou canst conjure up today, and that I'll write upon thy burgeonet. Might I but know thee by thy household badge. (laughs) Now, by my father's badge, old Neville's crest, The rampant bear chained the ragged staff. This day I'll wear aloft my burgonet, as on a mountaintop the cedar shows that keeps his leaves in spite of any storm, even to affright thee with the view thereof. And from thy burgonet I'll rend thy bear and tread it underfoot with all contempt, despite the bear ward that protects the bear. And so to arms, victorious father, to quell the rebels and their complices. Aye, charity for shame. Speak not in spite, for you shall sup with Jesu Christ tonight. Foul stigmatic, tis more than thou canst tell. 
if not in heaven, you'll surely sup in hell. Exempt severally. Scene two, St. Albans. Alarms to the battle. Enter Warwick. Clifford of Cumberland, tis Warwick calls, and if thou dost not hide thee from the bear, now when the angry trumpet sounds alarum and dead men's cries do fill the empty air, Clifford, I say, come forth and fight with me. Proud northern lord, Clifford of Cumberland, Warwick is hoarse with calling thee to arms. Enter York. How now, my noble lord? What, all afoot? The deadly-handed Clifford slew my steed. Match to match I have encountered him and made a prey for carrion kites and crows, even of the bonny beast he loved so well. Enter Clifford. Of one or both of us the time is come. Old Warwick, seek thee out some other chase, for I myself must hunt this deer to death. Then, nobly York... "'Tis for a crown thou fightest. "'As I intend, Clifford, to thrive today, "'it grieves my soul to leave thee unassailed. "'Exit. "'What seest thou in me, York? "'Why dost thou pause? "'With thy brave bearing should I be in love, "'but but that thou art so fast mine enemy. "'Nor should thy prowess want praise and esteem, "'but that tis shown ignobly and in treason.' So let it help me now against thy sword, as I in justice and true right express it. My soul and body on the action both. A dreadful lay. Address thee instantly. They fight and Clifford falls. La fin couronne les oeuvres. Eyes. Thus, war hath given thee peace, for thou art still peace with his, with his soul. Heaven, if it, will, if it be thy will. Exit. Enter young Clifford. Shame and confusion. All is on the route. Fear frames disorder and disorder wounds, wounds where it should guard. O war, thou son of hell, whom angry heavens do make their minister, throw in the frozen bosoms of our part hot coals of vengeance. Let no soldier fly. He that is truly dedicate to war hath no self-love nor he loves himself, hath not essentially but by circumstance in the name of valor. Seeing his dead father. Oh, let the vile world end and the premised flames of the last day knit earth and heaven together. Now let the general trumpet blow his blast particularities and petty sounds to cease. Was thou ordained, dear father, to lose thy youth in peace and to achieve the silver livery of an advised age? And yet in thy reverence and in and thy chair days, thus to lo- die in ruffian battle? Even at the sight my heart is turned to stone, and while tis mine, it shall be stony. York, not our old men spares. No more will I their babes. Tears virginal shall be to me even as the dew of, to fire, and beauty that the tyrant of oft reclaims shall to my flaming wrath be oil and flax. Henceforth I will not have to do with pity. Meet I an infant of the house of York, into as many goblets will I cut it as, as wild Medea, young Ibstress did. In cruelty will I seek out my fame. Come. Thou new ruin of old Clifford's house, as did Aeneas and old Anchises bear. So bear I thee upon my manly shoulders, 
but then Aeneas bear a living load, nothing so heavy as these woes of mine. Exit, bearing off his father. Enter Richard and Somerset to fight. Somerset is killed. So, lie you there. For underneath an alehouse's paltry sign, the castle in St. Albans, Somerset hath made the wizard famous in his death. Sword, hold thy temper. Heart, be wrathful still. Priests, pray for enemies, but princes, princes kill. Exit. Fight, excursions, enter King Henry VI, Queen Margaret, and others. Away, my lord, you are slow. For shame, away! Can we outrun the heavens? Good Margaret, stay. What are you made of? You'll nor fight nor fly. Now is it manhood, wisdom, and defense to give the enemy way and to secure us by what we can, which can no more, can no more fly. Alarm far off. If you be ta'en, we should then, we should see the bottom of all our fortunes. But if we happily scape, as well we may, if not through your neglect, we shall to London get where you are loved and where this breach now in our fortunes made may readily be stopped. Re-enter young Clifford. But that my heart's on future mischiefs set, I would speak blasphemy ere bid you fly. But fly you must, incurable discomfort reigns in the hearts of all our present parts. Away for your relief, and we will live to see their day, and them our fortune give. Away, my lord, away. Exempt. Scene three, fields near St. Albans. Alarm, retreat, enter York, Richard, Warwick, and soldiers with drumming colors. Of Salisbury. Who can report of him? That winter lion who in rage forgets aged contusions and all brush of time, and like a gallant in the brow of youth, repairs him with occasion. This happy day is not itself, nor have we won one foot if Salisbury be lost. My noble father, three times today I helped him to his horse, three times bestrid him, thrice I led him off persuaded him from any further act. But still, where danger was, still there I met him. And like rich hangings in a homely house, so was his will in his old feeble body. But noble as he is, look where he comes. Enter Salisbury. Now, by my sword, well hast thou fought today. By the mass, so did we all. I thank you, Richard. God knows how long it is I have to live, and it hath pleased him that three times today you have defeated me from imminent, defended me from imminent death. Well, lords, we have not got that which we have. Tis not enough our foes are this time fled, being opposites of such repairing nature. I know our safety is to follow them, for, as I hear, the king is fled to London to call a present court of parliament. Let us pursue him ere the writs go forth. What says Lord Warwick? Shall we after them? After them? Nay, before them, if we can. Now, by my faith, lords, t'was a glorious day. St. Albans' battle won by famous York shall be eternized in all age to come. Sound drums and trumpets, and to London all, and more such days as these to us befall. 